Welcome to Wham, where we talk about everything but teach you nothing. I'd like to think we teach I, some things. I am uh, not your no, host, no, Roz. He's, he's cooking, he's cooking. <laughs> I am not your host, Roz. Here's your actual host, uh, uh, one of two hosts, uh, Kaiser, our, our our lovely writer and fun-loving Star Wars man, uh, our Major D, Thomas, uh, and I forgot the other the other uh, host, uh, which is Maurice, our the best... The actual other shadow man. <laughs> uh, our, our best... Uh, uh, Shadow Man. <laughs> you gotta you say his name, dog. Oh, I didn't hear him say his name. I heard the other better Shadow <laughs> Man. And then I, say it. <laughs> I don't. I don't listen to you. Yeah, you do your. <laughs> I'm sorry, I listen to you. The Shadow Man just recently had talked to you. That is the lovely Roz. Uh, no matter what Roz says. It may or may not be true, but one thing that was actually factually false was that he was here before me, so it's actually him and the other two cohorts that are the, the foundation of Wham. I came in like 30 seconds later saying, can I join? And now here we are. Did you ask to join? I thought I dragged you into this. <laughs> no, it was half and half. You asked me to join, but I said yes. That I asked to direct the Wham, which was uh, one of my favorites. And you are one of the best additions we've ever had. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry now, for Russ, laughing. Oh, <laughs> one, of the be- yeah. <laughs> yeah. one of the best right. additions we've ever right. had. Me looking around for the second edition. That was the first edition. <laughs> no, you were a part edition. of this from the start. <laughs> I, I thought it started with I'm... you and Maurice, and then I got added, and then Thomas got added. <laughs> Technically, Shy is the second edition. Um, All right, that is showed true. up for. I, I love. Um, I love how Roz is like. I got it like much later. Just start with you two. Then you look up at the actual. Um, the logo. If you the go logo to the website we wham.blog, um, you find him. <laughs> as the third person listed in there with all of his art around the place. Like, you can see that we have three diamonds already. We're trying to get a fourth one. I've been trying to figure out how to add the fourth one. I already know how to add the yellow. I could just replace the two. That way it's predominantly gold on the outer ring. But I haven't figured out how to add the other one without the A just disappearing. Turn it sideways. I can just add add the the other one regardless. It will be like, the diamond is the A. And oh, check it out. Just um, have the A with one diamond at the top, two diamonds on the bottom, and one diamond in the middle. Yeah, I'll see if it works. Hey, uh, looking A. Like, Just spread them out and Gosh. turn one of the diamonds sideways. <laughs> Called symmetry, Kaiser. Called symmetry. Symmetry. His favorite character was not Death to Kid, Roz. Uh, excuse Kaiser. His favorite character was uh, his character was Black Star. Did you even watch Soul Eater? No, I don't think you. Uh, I did watch Soul Eater. I don't think I finished it. I mean Kaiser. Oh, Kaiser? I don't know. What did I watch? Did you watch Soul Eater? Uh, what you doing? No. Animo, your favorite subject. I have not watched no, Soul Eater. Right. Damn. Well, I've seen oh, like no, an episode or two. At least you haven't watched Soul Eater, <laughs> not it saves you some time. 
I don't know if he'd actually appreciate Soul Eater or not. I don't, I don't appreciate Soul Eater or not. <laughs> I watched. <laughs> I remember. I was. I remember having this conversation. Right. Why yes. are we gathered here? Other than just uh, fundamental investments in naughtiness. Ross. We gathered here today for this lawful wedded wedding of Kaiser and Puss in Boots. <laughs> I didn't realize I had been proposed to. Any objections? Uh, no objections? Uh, Maurice, the you're match goes through. You're supposed to object, Maurice. I don't know. That's kind of putting me on the spot. And I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I think okay. so we are getting here today because I was bombarded with uh, memes of pussy boots while scrolling TikTok in my days of misery trying to figure out why I'm not working. And I thought from the clips I saw it would be a great movie to watch. And then I kept seeing reviews of the movie. They kept saying it would be a great movie to watch. So I went, hey, let's watch Puss in Boots. And everybody went, eh, I don't know about that one. Everyone, you want to repeat that last sentence? Want to maybe reframe it to give a more accurate depiction of legal? By everyone, yeah, sure. I mean Kaiser and Maurice. Thomas is okay <laughs> with it from the start. I'm sorry, from that delivery, it sounds like Ross completely forgot that Thomas was all right with it from the start. I didn't forget. <laughs> so, yeah, you are completely right. Um, even in the first version of that, we were all sort of indifferent to the Puss in Boots movie because none of us cared. Uh, we decided to watch off of the whims and respects of Ross here. And I will be the first to say, yeah, it's so far my favorite movie of 2023. It doesn't mean a lot when you look at the date. Yes, it's like the 3rd of February, but there's a whole long, long time. And there's always a chance, but right now it's my favorite movie of 2023. Ellis, how do we feel? I would agree with your assessment that it is my favorite movie of 2023, but I don't think I have watched another movie in 2023 yet. You're getting there. Unless you have something to tell me. I don't know. I, uh, I mean, Quantum Mania is coming out, I think, this month. So yeah, I don't think anything Marvel at this point is going to top this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm thinking. I think there's going to have to be some fundamental changes for that to happen. Although, to be fair, Paul Rudd is amazing. That's true. And so I Are hate it? the fact that I don't know his name. Who is the uh, the man that plays Kang? Ah, uh, no, Jonathan Myers. My boy Johnny. Jonathan Myers. Jonathan Myers is also very good. My only thing is wait, hold on. Major. Double check. It's Majors. Jonathan Majors. Yes. All right. Jonathan Majors is also a very good actor, so I am. I haven't entirely given up hope for it, but the, it's the Marvel writers. They have not been doing a good job. That's fair. Maurice, how about you? I was not how listening. How do you feel? I was, feel I was talking them? to how someone else. Puss in Boots. Puss in Boots. I'm arguing with people on YouTube and Twitter. No, no, I was I was talking to someone in my home. Um, I actually enjoyed it. Uh, it was one of the better of the recent animated movies I've seen, and it shows that DreamWorks still got it. Like 
since DreamWorks has already made my favorite animated movie of all time, the How to Train Your Dragon series, this was good. This was good. I didn't watch the first one, so I I do not know who the uh, Kitty Softball uh, was. I was about to call her Pussy Softball, but that's not her name. <laughs> <laughs> nope. That's that is not her name. That is a different character from a different series. That is, is Hannah Morbera. No, because uh, well, there well is, the main um, character name is Puss. James yeah, Bond. that's what I'm saying. Uh, but um, no, uh, yeah, I don't know too much about her. But this movie by itself showed me a lot. Like, yeah, I, I felt like I already knew more about her without even having to watch the first one. So that's good. Which is a good thing. That's a that's a good thing to note. So you you don't need to know the previous movies to be up to date. In fact, if you don't mind, Roz, I'd like to give the rundown of what this movie is actually about as a sort of... You would be the best at it. Uh, also, what I I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just do have one more little thing I want to add to my feelings about the movie. Uh, how to put this? This is definitely the better of the two Puss in Boots movies, despite its lower budget. Um... But also, it is by far the best thing to come out of the Shrek series since, like, Shrek 2. And I might I even rate it above Shrek 2, to be honest. I would also agree with you on that. I don't think it beats out Shrek 1, but, you know... Uh, yeah, I was about to say, do we... Between just you and us, uh, you and I, Kaiser, do we agree that Shrek 1 is probably the best movie? Of the Shrek, Shrek, Shrek Run is one of the best animated movies ever made. Like, if you're an okay, adult and you have not seen Shrek in a while, and like last time I watched it was as a kid, you need to go back and rewatch it. It is a movie that very much was written with the uh, the old animation animated movie idea of this is a kids movie, but we got to put in some stuff here for the adults. And so going back and rewatching it, it's just got a lot of amazing just lines they're just like oh and a lot of names take on very Lord different Farquaad. yeah also uh just if you have not rewatched it recently uh for those of you who have minds that have fallen slightly more into the gutter uh the first thing shrek says when he gets to the castle is i guess he must be compensating for something which yep. to kids will watch like, yeah, he's compensating for how short he is, and as a <laughs> that is not what he meant. <laughs> as a kid, is like right. compensating for something. I don't know what that word means. Oh, I knew what that word <laughs> meant, did. and I thought it's I. I'm speaking from my own personal experiences. I thought he <laughs> is. It's because he's short. That's a funny line. And as an adult, like, ah, uh, that is that is not what he's referring to. <laughs> Inappropriate. <laughs> Also, Farquaad is definitely, uh, the scene of him in the bedroom looking at a repeat image, I don't know why he keeps repeating the image of Fiona, that, that shit's weird. Oh, it was weird at the time, too, fortunately. Now, I bring, I bring up all of this to say, yeah, plus, this new Puss and Puss movie, what's the full title again? Uh, The Last Wish. Yes, The Last Wish. Push and Boost The Last Wish is very, very good. Mm -hmm. His opening synopsis follows our titular main character, The Puss in Boots, introduced to Shrek 2, where <laughs> uh, he is a dashing rogue. I'm sorry for laughing. I'm 
Yeah. I've got the movie up on my other monitor to help me remember things. And I would just Sorry. like to show you this screenshot because I totally fucking missed it the first time. Uh, yeah. So, uh, this is when he's leaving the doctor's office. This lady's fish is just straight dead. Uh, let's see. Hopefully, Let us takes see. care of it. <laughs> it's, it's not like, you know, ah, it's a sick. No, that fish is fucking dead. Yeah. yeah I was that, so that, distracted that, by the doggo and the head code that I completely missed the dead fish. <laughs> <laughs> and you also know that, uh,. Now that you have the screenshot up for us to see, you know the snacks that Plus is eating is also from a fishbowl. Yeah. Oh, no, he's just going to dump the fish out of the toilet to keep its bowl. Correct. <laughs> As a, especially because the last one was just taken, so he needs to put it in something. He, he Plus does. the last wish is a story about our titular character, though Plus and Boo, searching for a wish after he, in the most recent encounter with a giant rock golem, gets down to the last of his nine lives. A very serious thing for most creatures, let alone a dashing rogue hero of a cat. On this journey to find this mythical last wish that he heard about, he ends up encountering uh, uh, <laughs> pussy softball, kitty softball. There you go. He's covering it, just, it just flows. Long, it, does, it does flow. It's very Hanna-Barbera. I, like, I, I grew up on Hanna-Barbera, so I'm fine with calling cats pussies. But I, I know that uh, Terms of Service might not. Regardless, he comes with his old, uh, <laughs> old, old fling, Kitty Softball, as well as a new compatriot and a dog, just known as uh, Perito. They go on this journey to find the last wish. All the while, unbeknownst to most other characters in the movie, death is right on Puss's door. In a very literal sense in fact i've got a little i'm only gonna be able to show it as a screenshot but uh yeah puss literally goes to a bar and then as the bartender leaves he kind of just looks up and uh yeah there's kind of <laughs> death's kind of just there just chilling he's like ha i've got cream death literal death next to him it was a very good look look to the one way Look back forward, and now there's just this gigantic person here. <laughs> oh, don't worry. If you come into the stream, you'll no. see that that is exactly what I'm showing. No. So I think the best way for me to talk about this next point is to not specifically go through uh, beat by beat of the movie, but instead talk about the most important relationship that happens in this movie. I will also Plus, say one particular thing. Particular character Sorry. and death. Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind me starting off a little uh, uh, on a little bit of a note that I find important. So everybody who watched this movie knew that this character was death. Like it, it was kind of revealed in the commercial and you know, you could make that assumption just based on the way that he talked. And the aforementioned, yeah. And Ross's aforementioned internet, uh, because death is a very popular character. Yeah. It's seen images of this wolf in, Wolf in hooded clothing. That's that's death and the main spoil so. the fuck out of it's it. Very striking. Yeah. Um, it's very striking. But the thing about it is Puss actively does not know that this character is death. Until the halfway point. It's well past the halfway point. 
it or their second in full encounter. Yes. So he believes this is a mercenary and nothing more. And then something's happening and he finds out. So I find that to be like I find it to be very interesting for the character. Because of course if death itself shows up and goes, I'm here to kill you, yeah, anyone's gonna be scared. It's literally death. It turns out that guy is real, so help. <laughs> but Listen, one... if the Buffer Man is real, everything's possible in this universe. Mm-hmm. And not not to steal your job, Thomas. Their their first interaction, ah. the two of them fight, and Puss loses. Like I haven't gone back Sadly, to check, too. but according to Puss in this movie, he has never been touched by a blade, and uh, essentially at the end of the fight, Death strikes the uh, Puss in the forehead and causes him to bleed, which. Lily causes him to go into complete panic and survival mode. And then he runs away. Which I think is much better since he thinks that it's just a bounty hunter rather than death mm-hmm. itself. Because it shows the character yeah. is actually scared for his life in general, not just because death itself is after him. Yep. It was already Don't... scary enough to be hit. Now it's double scary. Yeah. So we ask, we ask naturally the question, one, why have we never met this character before over the course of the entirety of Shrek? There has been plenty of people, including but not limited to the fairy godmother of Shrek 2, that just dies. This is not the first time any character has been flirting with death, let alone have necessarily met the requirements to sit down and have some tea with this wolf person. So why now? This relationship and the crux of the emotional crux of this movie hinges on Puss as a character. We are familiar with him, as I mentioned before, from Shrek 2 and from his own solo series, uh, solo movie, the first Puss and Boots movie, where he is a intentionally bragging, arrogant, and somewhat egotistical person. He fashions himself a lot like the um, tip, uh, archetypical fiction character uh, uh, from the Don Quixote series, correct? That's where a lot of his main inspirations are drawn from, even the sort of Spanish accent that he speaks in. Yeah, like, I feel like a lot of them's just, like, based off of characters from that era and time, just the rapier, mass-wielding, aha, you'll never take me alive. Yeah, they they always, the prior to maybe the very first, I guess the best way to say this is that prior to, like, the concept of the modern daredevil stuntman, uh, these sorts of braggadocious larger-than-life figures that seem very quite heroic were uh, the before, uh, the, I guess, the first Matador picked up a motorcycle. In Puss's like... case, in-universe, he is celebrated and regarded as a cultural hero to the various people of the Shrek universe, and including to wherever he happens to show the hell up and disrupt what clearly seems to be, like, 17th century... Uh, England and French uh, governors and monarchs. <laughs> He's very much a pirate in that kind of sense, adding mm-hmm. more to that general her- heroics and symbol of the people. But none of this, in terms of an altruistic sense, never mattered. He liked being the center of attention. He liked being the hero. He likes having that idea that he attaches a lot of his value to. So death only shows up very notably in this movie after that encounter with the rock golem, he gets himself unfortunately crushed by a bell. That was a whole part of the um, setup during that fight. He goes to a doctor. 
the local town that he was in after he defeated Sagolan, the doctor was like, yo, dog, how many times have you died? Because you died just now. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Cats have died lives, you know? And he recounts exactly eight other times he has died. Uh, we've never seen them. They just apparently have happened. So he was on his eighth life the very first time we ever met him. And that's depressing. What's unfortunately more depressing is that then the doctor goes like, yo, you got to chill. Death is a very real thing for everyone, and you can't just pretend that you can... I don't remember the specific language that the doctor says, but you can't pretend that you can just run away from it, is a general sentiment that he's going for, that to take the life, the one life that he now has very seriously. Puss ignores this... Uh, yeah. Somewhat ignores this... The doctor recommends he retires. all this doctor... Yes steals all of this doctor's candy or whatever treats he was offering and went to the bar. The very same clip that Kaiser just showed us here on stream where he at the bar getting sipping on a clip of leche milk, then there's death. There's a so there's a very re, uh, very fascinating thing that goes on here with obviously death being a real character in this movie because it's a kids movie, it's a fiction, it's a piece of fiction, we can explore that. Death itself seems a lot more scary when you feel closer to it i will not ever speak to the uh to the perspective and experiences of those with uh death in a more realistic forefront than the rest of us mortals who also only have one life presumably knock on wood but those who constantly contemplate death are much more affected by the almost existential dread and psychological trauma that can come from long-term contemplation or even as we see puss have for the rest of this movie a pathological fear and anxiety over it. he loses this match with death initially in the bar getting the first cut of kaiser's correct in his lives all of the other times he has died he's never been cut he got squashed by a bell as we saw at the top of the movie and various other deaths that he talked about were like Possibly getting eaten by things, or also getting crushed by things, or falling. He took great pride, right? Or falling. Well, no, he did fall that one time because he was drunk. Mm -hmm. He 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 drunkenly said, "Yeah." <laughs> He's like, "Cats have nine. Cats always land in their feet." And then he falls drunkenly to apparently that was his fourth death, if I remember the sequence correctly. Regardless, uh, <laughs> his confidence is shattered. His ego. His confidence is shattered, his ego is broken, and we deal now with a character who has to rebuild a new sense of self from this absolutely terrifying encounter. Yeah. Anybody want to yeah. add anything else in the interjections before I get into... I would into... love to add. Uh, the thing that I really liked about the character of Death himself was the fact of it was like, how come, like, as you said before, how come we never seen or met this character before? It's because this is one of the first times we get to actually see when Death wants to get his hands dirty. Puss in Boots has a uh, little catchphrase where he says he laughs in the face of Death, and Death doesn't think that's funny. <laughs> There's the meme. I laugh in the face of Death. And I took, I that, took that personally. personally. And this is literally the reason why he is chasing down Puss. It's because he thinks, because he sees Puss as what he is. He's a little too arrogant for his britches. And he's going to put a stop to this. And being the force of nature that he is, he's coming for him. And yeah. this is giving Puss the lesson that he needs to, um, you know, 
Uh, calm the hell down. And that's actually a great way to segue into the next part. What does, as I mentioned before, reinventing yourself, what does uh, plus reinventing himself even look like? As we Well, before we segue into um, more about plus, I think we should introduce more to characters. That's exactly what I was going to get to. God, there, are, <laughs> there are there's a manhunt as i mentioned before for that quote-unquote last wish it is legitimately a place and it's legitimately a star on the ground so i'm going to remove a lot of that in terms of like what they're hunting for this is not one piece i will tell you exactly what they're hunting for and where it is who's going for it is the more important thing. we have the actual goldilocks bears and goldilocks herself goldilocks uh, yeah, they are a family of four, apparently a slightly notorious thieving group slash crime family. Since, I mean, they are a family and they do. I love the fact that they made a British gangsters. Yeah, they are British. They are based on British gangsters. As you know, the Shrek universe, the fans of this franchise have seen the fairy tale characters twisted and often kind of like. Thank you. I, I, I'm glad that death got to me. Because he doesn't want me to spoil this movie. Uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yep. Wondrous. Uh-huh. Am I done dying yet? Am yeah, I alive again? Though. Wondrous. You kind of recovered Thanks, like Deadpool. a second after he called you out for it. <laughs> uh, I just... uh, I'm glad that Death, you know, just quickly Let's see if stabbed death... me in the gut and called it a... I... I know we're doing this slightly out of order. I would like to say what my favorite, one of my favorite lines of the movie is. Wow, what means? Uh, since we're talking about the three bears, a uh, baby bear is really fucking talkative and says a lot of wild shit because he's also dumb. But in the final battle, at one point, baby bear shoves over another bad guy who we'll get to later, and he goes. I can't remember if it's a bruv or if he says something else, but I'm going to mess you up and then I'm going to wear your clothes. <laughs> and the other bad guy's response was, well, that was weird. And then he shoots him. <laughs> well, that was weird. Bang. <laughs> it's it's just that entire interaction. I'm going to mess you up and then I'm going to wear your yeah, clothes. Just- what? Kaiser was just saying his favorite favorite line in the movie from Baby Bear. So what? I I guess we can quickly be on this. Roz, what's your favorite quote of the movie? Or if you want to make this a little bit broader, why don't we say of Goldilocks and the Three Bears? Do you have a favorite line from them? Ah, I can't remember off the top of my head. There's a lot of good lines in that movie, but I would just like to say that the three bears are invited to the cookout. I don't care if anybody has objections, they're invited to the cookout. Uh, I'm glad you are glad you don't care, because I most certainly have objections to inviting Goldilocks. No, not uh, Goldilocks, just the bear. Oh, okay, that's fine. Now, unfortunately, though, Mama Bear is 100% going to want to bring her golden baby, and so I'm going to say only Papa Bear, because he seems chill. <laughs> <laughs> All he wants to do is nap. I love or, he I says, Yeah, I give him a burger. He's like, thanks, bruv. 
I go, you're welcome, partner. And then we just go about our merry way. Maybe he'll play a game of spades. If he wakes up from his nap, maybe he'll just be napping the whole time. It's fine. It's a vibe. So oh. these, uh, this is generally one of the groups of characters very invested in the thing. Maurice, do you happen to have anything from the Goldilocks and Three Bears you want to share? Uh, I just simply love them. I love their... I love their cam- uh, characters and the dynamics. There's a few things I would probably tweak to make them feel more like a family because I'm going to be a little honest. You can see the somewhat favoritism, and I would like have it equal between the two kids and the um, parents. Because mm. like, I would I would yeah. love for Papa Bear to once go to Goldie, and she says, I don't have this, and he'll just like scooch over to Goldie. No, no, sweetheart. Yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> Because he only did it to Baby Bear, and I'm like, hit Goldie with that at yeah. least twice, and it will be completely even. Well, it's because uh, Mama Bear did show a lot of favoritism towards uh, Goldie, also, and I think it's because she yeah. really wanted a daughter. And I, I just need them to so, be hey, equal, because that's, Goldie that's and Baby... Bear. That's they, Mama Bear's problem. Yeah, because Baby Goldie and Baby get along as siblings perfectly. I think we Because, you know... Sorry. Uh, no, go on. J- just to add what you're saying, I think at the bare minimum, what we could have had is, and... Some people might call this uh, gender normative, but I think we very much, if we were going to have Mama Bear be such a, have such a favoritism towards Goldie, if Papa Bear could have had a much stronger favoritism towards Baby Bear. Even though the dad supports the boy, the ma supports the girl, that sort of thing. As long as they had a little more equal, because it felt like Goldie was the the golden child, and you know I get I get it there, but it's like no, come on, just be a little more equal so I can see the big family dynamic. Like let them argue, but you know don't don't take sides. Just go back and forth between them. Like I don't know, I think Baby may be onto something, or I think Goldie got this one this time. So to just, be just fair, be the line that you are referring to, <laughs> where Papa Bear does lead over to Baby Bear and be like, no, no, you do. Um, is when Goldie says that he's a dingleberry. Yeah, he has dingleberries, but he does it like three times throughout the movie. Does he? Yeah, that's I why I wanted to like happen like Goldie a few times as well because he does it like he did it once in the um cat orphanage. He did it once when they were um holding the dog hostage. And I can't remember, like I haven't seen in a while, but I remember him doing it more than once. I only remember the one time. No. I remember so it more than once. That's why I need to I've watched the, the movie, movie twice. And How dare you? Technically, that's a lie. I have watched it three times. And I do have a favorite line from the three bears. And mine goes to Papa Bear when uh, Puss poked him with a stick in the nose. And he just goes, <laughs> you shouldn't have done that, mate. And then Puss <laughs> just goes flying. <laughs> and I'm like, that's great. That was great. <laughs> It wasn't antagonistic enough. It was just mm, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> that is good. That is that is good. That is this will not do. One thing about <laughs> this them certainly will not do. One thing about them that I also really like is actually their introduction. It kind of makes it seem like Goldilocks somehow managed to like tame the bears because like they don't say anything. They're just growling yeah. and such. And then yeah. a little bit later. Mama Bear has the cat lady captured, and Papa, <laughs> Papa, make her talk. Her. And she steps inside of the mirror, leans up and growls, and he's like, "Excuse, Excuse me, me, love." Miss. <laughs> 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 just, 
It was so great. That was the moment I fell in love with them. Yeah. He also was having like very cordial conversation, being nice. And then and she grabs a broom and hits him with it, breaks yep. it over his head. This man does not flinch. He is so, right. they're all great. Yeah. I just needed a little less favoritism and I kind of hated her wish. Do you know what I could have done with less of from this group? Sure. I think that they do the whole 2x, 2y just right. Yeah, they did um, it like four times. Yeah, they did it too many times. Like literally here, when uh, we're talking about it, when Papa Bear, you know, it, it speaks very cordially, it gets hit, Goldie yells too soft, and then Mama Bear fucking puts the cat lady in a chokehold and basically goes, I'm going to eat hard. you. And then she passes out and they're like, too hard. Yeah, because she, like, they did it in the introduction, and I feel like they could have done it just again, just later during that last. That was not, not the last fight, but the right. other fight. Yeah, that was I, the worst I think fight. also the. I think also the the dream sequence, or not? I say the illusion sequence that we'll eventually get to. Yeah. The this is one of our forces. I won't call them antagonistic uh, in a negative connotation. They are just at first they actually wanted to find Puss in Boots to hire him in order to help acclaim the Last Wish and find the map. More specifically, that leads to it. Um, then there is another interesting party, a very, mm. very powerful interesting party. Uh, it is Jack Horner, Big and Jack apparently Horner. everybody in this universe. Big, yes, thank you. A very legal distinction. Big Jack Horner, which makes everybody groan in frustration because he is just that type of guy. What type of guy am I talking about? Well, he's apparently a uh, multi-business owner, a worker of a uh, abused working factory of bakers and stuff like that. He's from, not a folktale, but a nursery rhyme of the, I believe, of the same name, Jack Horner. And he actively resents that sort of thing. Um, he resents the fact that he lives in a universe it's like Pinocchio, who are magical in nature, that there's magic all over the place, and he's just Jack Horner. So, um, way, way back when he was a kid, he was like, enough of this. And he started hoarding and monopolizing uh, the market, essentially, on magical artifacts and becoming a big, successful, engorged businessman because of it. He obviously also wants the last wish for last wish purposes. Uh, what could you possibly want when you have everything? He answers that question in a very, very simple thing. More! Just more stuff! What I want all the for? magic in the world. All for me and nobody else. Is that too nobody much else. to ask? That's his actual according line. To the Jiminy, according to the Jiminy Cricket that he confesses this to, a creature based on trying to be your better conscience on this man's shoulder, horrifyingly realized, yes! Yes, that is! I and he's stuck on the shoulder corner. of this mega... He's stuck on the shoulder of this mega maniacal maniac. A great I, parallel to the mega maniacal maniac that is technically our puss in the first beginning parts of this movie. My favorite part about Jack Horner is the fact that he's just evil. <laughs> and he's so evil. He yes. let the conscience stay just to play with him because he knows he's evil. And he's like, trying to talk me out of being evil? Nah, I'm not going to do uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> you can try. I I enjoy the conversation. Conscience. 
<laughs> Jack, you're losing a lot of mass <laughs> power. <laughs> uh, I'm not really worried oh. about it. Yeah, that's Jiminy Cricket. He slowly broke Jiminy Cricket the content. over the course of the movie, and it was great. Jack, <laughs> you're not going to shoot that puppy, are you? Yeah, in I the am. face. Right in the face. <laughs> you called it at the beginning of the movie. You was like, I hope Jiminy Cricket fucks him over at the end of the movie. <laughs> Well, yeah, the second I said, I'm your conscious. I'm like, you're going to get so fucking mad and screw him some way, aren't you? <laughs> Once again, my predictive yeah. powers are unparalleled. It's a, it's a good setup. So, uh, in fact, I would like to, this is not a quote from Jack Horner, but this is instead my favorite thing from Jack Horner. He often doesn't know what half of his magical shit does. So very early in the movie, during the scene where we're introduced to him, um, he is talking to some underlings that he hired to help acquire the map and shit. He actually has his hands on the map. That's why Puss in Boots and various other characters like the Goldilocks and the Three Bears show up in his office. What's more important is that during that scene, he's like, uh, we see first in the overall shot, unicorn horns adorned on one of the walls of his office. Baby unicorn horns. They are, and yes, and he calls them out when the when those two lackeys bring it up. Those are baby unicorns, and he has no actual clue what they do until combat starts, and uh, later on, it seems, decides to pull them out of his magical infinite bag of holding, and he starts shooting them at people. They blow you up in confetti. If you're familiar with Halo, and particularly those small little aliens, if you shoot them in the head, confetti also comes out, and you hear a pfft, yeah! There was no pff, yay, but there was the pff, and that alone is also terrifying. <laughs> the best part about it, by the way, when he finds out that that's what they do, he literally he shoots only shoots his friends. He shoots. <laughs> I think he, he shoots, shoots so many. three people, and all of them are his minions. Mm -hmm. Yes, he he repeatedly has no regard for life. Uh, One of them shoots. even goes, "You shot me." My bad. You walked into that one. He doesn't do it on purpose. It's just that's the kind of character he is, engorged in greed that... and power and no regard for life. Let I alone question about his own, but yes. he, he does kind of does kind of give that off. What's, What's your question? Uh it's referring to Jack Corner. Uh they they do this thing a lot in a movie where Whenever he's in the scene and he's doing his chaotic shit, they'll like do like a mild flashback or insert the sound of uh, him going, I'm a good boy or I'm the goodest boy or something like that. And I was like, I know you're hinting at something, but uh, monkey brain, not monkey understanding. Can somebody explain that to me, please? So he talks about it in terms, uh, I believe, to Jiminy Cricket of all people about why he's doing what he's doing. And this is the prelude before he talks about what he wants from the wish. He is a part of a nursery rhyme. What you were hearing in terms of the overall soundtrack for this movie during his scenes are a, a version of I. that nursery rhyme. Yeah. He, in the Shrek universe version of this, used to be a street performer doing the little thing and gained small-scale popularity from that, but is easily outclassed by someone like Pinocchio, who they literally shown in that flashback scene as the uh, adjacent... Um, Stall. I don't know what they call street performer setups. Stall next to him. Pinocchio is, is infinitely more interesting than a pudgy little white boy dancing on a stage. I'm which sorry is kind of funny. Boys, you, are beautiful. you are entertaining. I would love to watch you in the street. 
It's kind of funny because uh, Pinocchio, if we can see Pinocchio was the big start of his downfall on screen, and Chimney Cricket's the end. That's right. That's right. It is It is a wonderful thing to, to have all come together. Another great line but, from Jack Horner, though, is in that scene, yeah. he goes, when he looks over Pinocchio, who's thinking about how he's a real boy, no strings attached. I've always been a real boy. Yeah, he literally yells, what's impressive right. about that? I've been a boy this whole time. That's right. <laughs> also, the fact got John Mulaney, yeah. the villain. Oh, my God. He is John, right. John Mulaney does... Most of the voice actors do an extremely good job. John Mulaney, fucking, oh, yeah. I loved him in this. I'll get into that though once yeah. we're done with what you're talking about. Please, I was thinking, there, there, are, there, are, there are various acting credits when I looked up the cast, and I was, I was like, yeah, we should we should talk about these uh, people more. Um, so Jack Horner's whole thing is that he has a uh, chip on his shoulder against probably not specifically Pinocchio, although he would absolutely love to make him into a new desk. As well as uh, just more so the entire concept of, oh, is magic so great? All right, what if I just had all the magic? Then I'm the greatest of them all. And that's essentially what the entire wish boils down to. That is also why I am a good boy it echoes in the back of his head. Because even in context of when he was a pudgy little white boy dancing in the street, he never believed or embodied the words of what the nursery rhyme is for. He's a, he's a, he was inherently performative and uh, selfish individual who just wanted the attention. Uh, at that time, it was a little, probably, presumably more for survival given his level of success. But clearly no, his, now... His parents owned a so, successful food company. He did not need to do that to survive. Thank you for that correction, because now that reframes what I'm saying. He just wanted to do it for the attention. He just wanted to feel special in a very self-centered way. Uh, he doesn't have... He, to character analysis a little bit he didn't have much for his life that could be attributed to his own worth and he hated oh. that it's the same reason why a lot of people resent people with talent or with um in it, uh, or, or with impressive skill and those who can display those skills if you do not believe that you have anything inherently special or uh, valuable in your own life it is very easy to turn that into bitterness towards others who do seemingly have those things. And in this case, it's just simply him not having magic and everything else in the Shrek universe being magical. Uh, he's become what everyone hates. Theo. That's right. No, it, that ass because not a single human being, not a single magical creature, uh, I don't even think his own mother or father uh, particularly likes this person. We never met their parents, although I'm sure their parents are absolutely horrific. Was, they were in a flashback and they looked bored as hell. Yeah, they looked bored of his performance. And also, I would like to point out that there was actually a conversation between Jack Horner and Jiminy Cricket about his parents. It was like, oh, my parents yeah, didn't leave very much, just a thriving food empire and everything I could have, gave me everything I ever could have wanted. So, like, his parents weren't, like, you're, you're trying to justify Jack Horner. No, he is not a justified oh, yeah. character. He is just evil. And that's honestly yeah. the best part about him. Mm-hmm. I love him. Let me, let me make sure that I'm correct when I say this. I, I, I was saying that I was like, I don't believe his parents were all that either. Like, yeah. it's, not, it's not in particular justification of, oh, because he has bad parents, he is the way he is. No, it's just more so like, I don't see how a person could be a good person 
around a person like Jack Horner. We influence <laughs> each other a lot. We, uh, especially in terms of like a like close knit family unit, as we do later explore in other parts of the movie, you do kind of inherit a lot of traits and qualities from the most important people in your immediate. Um, and there's no way Jack Horner could grow like that, given the backstory that he tells Jiminy Cricket, without the parents themselves also probably being less than ideal people. Nah, I think he literally was just a spoiled brat, and it ended with him being like that. Someone oh, has to spoil the brat, is the point that I'm also trying to make. Mm -hmm. well, the the way you're putting it, 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 I, it, I don't think that anybody did anything, like, heinous. Like, they weren't mean to him. They just gave him right. what he wanted, and he wanted more. No, exactly. And that's no what No tragic developed. backstory here. No. Definitely not. No tragic backstory. Uh, this, of course, means that him going for the wish actually it has, it thanks to Jack Horner's life, being a shady, megamaniacal businessman, has him a lot of connections with not only Goldilocks and the Three Bears as people he's hired before, he's also hired other random underlings, like the two that I talked about in his character introduction scene. And, of course, at one time or another, Kitty Softpaw. Kitty Softpaw, for those who have seen the first Puss in Boots movie, know a lot more about her, voiced by uh, Sama Hayek, so we already know what's going on there. Uh, Kitty Softpaw, in the context of this movie, and let's just focus on this movie as an isolation, so, before you is continue, a sorry. former love interest of Puss. Yes. I would like to read to you the subtitles for the scene where Jack Carter explains his backstory. Because Jiminy Cricket is like, there has to be something more. Tell me about your childhood. You know, I never had much as a kid. Uh, just loving parents and stability and a mansion. And a thriving baked goods enterprise for me to inherit. Useless crap like oh, that. Yep. Yeah, he's done. Never mattered. But once Never I get my wish, I'll finally have the one thing that will make me happy. What's that? And what's that? All of the magic in the world. For me. World. And no one else gets any. Is that so much? Uh. So were we <laughs> moving on to Kitty Sophos or were we going to talk about favorite lines from Jack Horner? I, I have my favorite scene. Or, or even favorite piece of utility with the baby unicorn horns. It draws <laughs> harmony. Favorite uh, I don't have favorite a favorite line, line from him because apparently I don't remember people's dialogues too much unless it's like Puss or the Wolf. Uh, but I, oh, big my surprise, favorite scene. Raw saw Daddy Wolf and listened. <laughs> my favorite scene of him <laughs> is the one with Excalibur. He didn't even pull it out of his stone. <laughs> he just picked up the stone with it. I think that he yeah, even yeah, yeah, yeah. like points that uh, out. Jack Horner, yes. Jack Horner was like, I told you about the infinite bag of holding. I told you, uh, chat and VOD listeners, I told you about the infinite bag of holding. That's where Jack carried a large, and I mean like one man oh. army's worth of magical artifacts Thumb on his hunt that for is. the witch and more specifically for Puss with the map. Uh, what exactly is that bag? That's Mary Poppins. Yeah. Poor Mary Poppins. Uh, she did not deserve it. What's important here is that among all of those items, during a, ch a part of the chase scene, he pulls out, He's, uh, I believe he says that he's going to pull out Excalibur, and so very obviously you see the hilt of the sword. 
very popularly the most prominent thing that would be pointing skyward. Once he pulls out the rest of it, though, it is literally the sword and the entire stone. Not right. a fraction of it. The whole fucking stone that the, it was gorged into. The delivery is also great because he kind of grabs it and goes, Excalibur! 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 Because it takes him a second to get the fucking rock out of the fucking bag. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't get this rock I, off I, it, I but still pretty cool, right? And I myself at that move, uh, we didn't not for I don't think we've recorded uh, that outside of like maybe shorts uh, for future shorts and stuff. But when we were watching it together, that very scene, I was like, yes, that is exactly what I would do if I couldn't get the stupid sword out of the rock. I just take the whole thing. Fuck it, it's amazing. So yeah, Jack, so I, Jack is a very smart cookie. An evil. So cookie I have. Two favorite lines from Mr. Horner. Let's hear it. My, uh, the first one I got is the one that always just sticks to my head is, I'll get you my kitties and your little dog, too. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, that's, that was, I like how you just stole that one right out of it. But my other favorite one is, well, you know what they say? You can't bake a pie without losing a few dozen (laughs) men. I think it's just <laughs> yeah. can't make without losing a dozen Kaiser, men. Kaiser, what was the line he said to the chef that was hanging off the cliff? It was like the last one of his men left. You're not you chatty, chatty, are you? Are you? You're not <laughs> yeah, chatty, are you? And, it, and the baker response. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like the animators deserve credit for that one too, because you can literally yeah. see them just shut their lips chat. tight, and that's like very straight line. Just. Mm-mm. That was very good. Um, are you gonna help? You're losing a lot of men. I do. I do have my favorite. I do actually have a line that I like a lot because this is the very last line he says. Oh, spoiler! Uh, he dies in a comically cartoonishly fashion because he's a comically cartoonishly villain. Uh, the star, the wish itself, the entire ground and magical energy surrounding it collapses and implodes uh, with him in it. So he, he was inside of a fire-working singularity, uh, to put it in scientific terms. But while he was getting sucked in, and his very last words to the recast was going to be like, Where, What did I do wrong? I mean, like, what specifically? That was great. It's what did very... I do to deserve this? I mean, what specifically? I love that scene, too. That's one of my top two. Because he literally looks at them, and everyone just looks back and is like, What? And I'll that's be... when he goes, right. I mean, specifically. Right. Uh, you know, make it make sense. <laughs> so... Uh... He that's, is he is a straight villain impact. and he does not accept that. That is a capital fact. A. That is a capital A that's a capital A antagonist uh for Puss and Boo. Great. And our lovely other characters, as I was getting to, like Kitty Softpaw. Wait Kitty a minute, I didn't get to say my favorite line of uh, I thought you What? Did you? You cut out. No. You cut out. I thought you did. No, you, you went to Maurice, and then I said I also really liked the one. And I do deserve this line. Legit- but then like, and now we move I on. Know. I legitimately, I, be- I legitimately believe you started this segment with yours. No, you spoke about it first. What? What did please, I say? Please tell us. I don't remember. So now I'm. <laughs> 
I'm gonna have to. Now I'm going to have to eat my L, and now have to have you do your thing. Please it's okay. Help. It's on recording if Please. you want to see it later. No, yeah, I had yeah, two yeah. favorite lines, I, and I it's essentially. I do not care. It's essentially because of the the buildups. Firstly, yes, the what did I do to deserve this? I mean specifically. <laughs> <laughs> but also, we've talked a lot about Jiminy Cricket, and we keep cutting off this scene right before my favorite line, where it's just like, I want all of the magic in the world for me, and no one else. Jiminy Cricket's next line is like, oh my god, that, that's evil! You're evil! <laughs> and Jack's response is, oh, what took you so long? <laughs> and then he just licks it yeah. off of his yeah. shoulder. Yeah. And yeah. also, honorable mention to the whole <laughs> I'm gonna mess you up and wear your clothes. Well, that was weird. He, Jack Horner is the unmentioned villain that says, Well, that was weird. <laughs> and he just shoots him. It's <laughs> <laughs> an entire bear telling you he's gonna beat you up and wear your clothes. And his whole response is, That's weird. That was weird. Did you go away? That is weird. Admittedly, it is pretty weird. So, Kitty Softball. We can now Those finally probably move on to Kitty. Movie. <laughs> Those who've seen the first post in this movie. Uh, know every character much more well in just the context of this one to keep it nice and narrow and focused Kitty and Puss seems to have a strange relationship. Uh, relationship being not of a romantic sense but more of a um he left her at the altar sense so That's... not great definitely not That's... the worst Like she's not actively out to kill him but it's certainly not good it's like, like Batman Catwoman most recent <laughs> I like this is where we're starting it, it, not it's, the it's fact Kitty, that Kenny Softpaws is also a fellow like adventuring thief kind of like Puss but Puss is much more thief. upfront but That's Kitty Softpaws is just a cat burglar like her soft paws are it, she uh, literally I has soft paws I bring up specifically paws. the Catwoman right <laughs> yep it, 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 I, I bring this up the particular comparison Catwoman, Batman, the very reason behind their tension as characters is the same explored uh, in that re so much in the storyline of Catwoman and Batman were engaged. Uh, the news that Catwoman did the engagement. Uh, but for the same reason, Puss had moniker, a legacy, and sense of cultural heroism attached to them. And it's to the point that both of our women characters believe that they will never be as important to our male counterpart as those, uh, as that uh, legend, as that <laughs> um, piece of symbol that is quote unquote part of their identity. Of course, this is all by the time uh, Kitty Soft Pauls enters the movie, Hood is all on the the come up from his downward uh, you know from from the valley of literally getting cut by death in the early you're cutting in and out again these parts of the movie this is not the same puss and booze talking like uh, he didn't do a good job 
Death really wants me to do nothing but praise its worship, the ground it sniffs, uh, and being routinely killed. I am sorry. So, I can I can Let pick me up where you know when I decide to live again. I can I can pick up for you for now. So essentially, to touch on a little, just a little bit of the backstory from the first movie because I feel like it's important. Uh, Kurisawa's is sure. relatively puss's equal. Uh, relatively equal in sword skill though, a little bit lesser. Uh, she is the better thief that has relatively better movement. If I remember correctly, she wins the dance off at the beginning of the first one. And her big thing is she is called Kitty Soft Paws because she has very soft paws, which is due to the fact that she got declawed when she was a kitten. So she oh. does not trust people, also cannot pick locks, which Puss is very good at because she has no claws to pick the locks with. That's it. Yeah. Um, yes, it is. But that is what caused her to be Kitty Soft Paws. They have a, you know, that adventuring group romance thing built up in the first one. The second one... It, it's not exactly romantic. She's r relatively angry, but it, they do not have, like, a strict rivalry once they get started because the two of them, while, and I'm going to spoil this, technically both of them left each other at the altar, if you believe the dialogue as written. Correct. Uh, yeah, I was going to get that. Yeah, technically, it it's a little bit... Meh, it could have been that it, she was saying that to make it, him feel better. But if we take her at face value, we never, literally neither of them showed up at the altar. Uh, the way I saw it was she was saying it to make him feel better. Because there's no way she would have been that hurt about it if, uh, if it wasn't the case. To be fair, she wasn't that like hurt about it. She was mad. But it wasn't as bad as it definitely could have been. I think regardless of, of whether or not she up, the grievance behind why that's even a plausible decision to do mm -hmm. is the more important thing to focus on on their dynamic as characters. She yes. truly, as much as she distrusts any close relationship she could ever think she could have in her life, equally believed that the same was going to happen here with Puss, that he was going to choose his, uh, his identity his sense of heroism, the ego that he that he currently held over a long-term committed relationship, putting someone else before for himself, which he did do. She she called that right. Whether yeah. or not she was there to see that verified doesn't change how right she was. Yeah. Um. But you know, their relationship is tense at first. But to spoil a thing, because uh, this is a spoiler review. It, it's not a non-spoiler, so be prepared. Everything's being spoiled. Um, I mean, I told that I said that there was a villain who died. That's pretty spoilery. <laughs> yeah, but, like, I'm spoiling even more of it now. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm removing you as the villain. Uh, there is a scene <gasps> after that fight where we talk about Jack Horner shooting people with the horn, the, hor the unicorn horns, wherein they actually... Um, Death shows up during that fight, and they do a really good thing in that scene where Death shows up, and the way that we know that he is there, and that Puss finds out he is there, is that Death whistles the same tune over and over again, and it ends up being, it ends up being part Call of his sign. theme in the final fight right as it gets started. Um, but, not the point. 
it would. Don't don't butt me. Um. Sorry. Uh, Puss ends up running away because he starts to have a panic attack. Uh, a character who we have not talked about helps calm him down, and then the two of them end up having a a talk. And Puss at one point says, uh. He tells the other character that he wants the wish to wish back his lives. And the other character says, well, we should probably just tell Kitty. I'm sure she would understand. And his response is, she would never trust me. And then he goes into the whole thing about him leaving her at the altar at Santa Colonna. And Puss, sorry, you guys now have me doing it. Kitty Softpaws actually, <laughs> actually does walk in on their conversation and she overhears all of it. And one of the reasons why I kind of leaded to possibly believing her is the fact that she does, after hearing him go, I feel fucking awful, I left her at the altar, it was a mistake, I shouldn't have done it, but I did. She does actually very quickly forgive him, and part of that can be attributed to the fact that, like, multiple characters do point it out that the puss in boots of this movie isn't acting like the puss at the beginning of the movie, which is also the same character we have seen in the Shrek movies and in the original Puss in Boots. The braggadocious uh, teetering the lines of death uh, adventurer that he was. He's much more concerned about this life and getting things done. And doing things the right way. Which, you know, is exactly what Kitty would like to see out of him. So it does make sense for her character that when she is, you know, Seeing someone who she obviously likes, they were going to get married. But the thing that she had trepidation about with him has appeared to have gone away. It does make sense that she would be like, all right, we can we can test the waters here. Um, nice moral of the story, people. Pretend like you're dying tomorrow in order to get the person that you don't do. That. I don't know Terrible. if you should pretend like that. But one question that is a good thing to ask yourself a lot of the time is, how would you feel if you were to die tomorrow? Do Would Dead. you feel like... Would you, in the <laughs> theoretical afterlife, feel like you have left something on the table that you would rather have not left on the table? If so, get that shit done. I'll be okay. honest. If I die tomorrow and look down at my body, I might kick it. If I die tomorrow, I'll be very upset about the fact that I haven't finished the books. Are you just... So you want to be so you want to be a tangible ghost? Oh yeah, I'm just looking at my body. How dare you give up on me? How dare you? God damn it! I took care of you oh. for thirty fucking oh. years, and this is how you repay oh. me. There is, there is more. I love. Not only do I love uh, Kaiser's important <laughs> takeaway because that is a very important part that puts himself embodies as a character in his arc through this movie, there's a lot more to it that we can definitely get into. I think one of the other important things to talk about with Katie Softpaws is that wish. I mean, we've already talked about her past, about why she's softpawed, and the, tra the trauma that comes with it. But the wish itself, why she's never going for it, is loosely related to this plot point of, ah, she couldn't have a loving and trusting partnership with puss uh she wants someone literally anyone that she can trust and i'm going to be a little unfair to her and say but perito's right there 
the unmentioned additional character of Perito. Yeah, we'll get to Perito's right there. Like, could you imagine if she got the wish and Perito just teleported three feet closer? (laughs) (laughs) Hi. Oh my god. (laughs) Hello. What's up? (laughs) Hola, que pasa? You needed me, Chica? Yes. Yes, as a, as a matter of fact, I did need you, Perito. Come here. Scratchy, scratch, a scratch. You want to find kind of cute, but not to look too deep into it? Yeah. Uh, Spoiler alert. Uh, no one gets their wish. Um, I mean, they technically all do, but nobody. Yeah, but no one gets their wish. Uh, apparently, <laughs> if you kind of look at it in the funniest way possible, they all broke the the rule they kept talking about. They each said their wish out loud. That's right. Yeah, they did. Uh, and that's that was no, a subtle exception. That was a subtle tell in the movie because the rule is if you say you wish out t- out loud, it'll never come. It'll never yeah. come true. Like a real wishing yeah. star. Birthday rules. Birthday rules. Now, um, I will take this moment to talk only a little bit about Goldilocks, because we've mentioned her before. She's hunting for the star as well, along with the three bears. What do they want? I didn't mention that. It's very simply, the three bears wanted to start a, well, criminal empire. They are a crime family. Why not be a crime syndicate? Why not be, you know, the next Italian mafia, I suppose? Goldilocks... They're the Peaky Blinders. They're the Peaky Blinders. Goldilocks pretends that that is also her wish, but only until, you know, dramatic, emotional breakdown does she admit that she actually wants a human family. She wants to find her birth parents for in this universe, and maybe in the context of the original Grimm novel, she's an orphan. It's kind of weird that a little white girl just breaks and enters a perfectly reasonable family home and just eats their stuff and sleeps on their stuff. And they kind of point to that. It's like, she comes out of nowhere in the bear's lives. Of course, Mama Bear in particular endears himself, herself onto her and uh, coddles her like the literal golden-haired child she is. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that Goldilocks, all she ever wanted was to actually have a sense of family. She, mm-hmm. As you already know from everything we've talked about, she obviously has it already. They're right there. But she, much like many of us in life, we sometimes forget uh, the nuance of the uh, and benefits and privileges that we already have in our current stages of lives or soon to have uh, over the grandiose, fanciful wishes that we could also want for our lives. This leads to the most grounded and funny character of the movie. Perito. <laughs> Perito. Except for before we get to them, can I talk about her wish and how much I still hate it? By all means. So, her wish is for her to have a family. And that made me really upset with her character because that is, in fact, the most selfish thing I heard. Oh, yeah. Even more than Jack Horner's. Oh, yeah. Jack Horner knew knew full well that this was only a benefit to him and no one else, and he wasn't pretending like that wasn't the case. Like, he truly believed, I'm going to use these bears to get what I want, and I have no general consideration on what my post-wish actually looks like for them. Well, it's like, here's the thing that really gets to me. It's not like she's wishing for them both to get a true family, like, for them to get a daughter bear, and for her to get you know, a father human, a mama human, and a baby human. No, she's just wishing for a family for herself, and that was 
I was like, that's so left. Like, I understand. I saw it coming, but it's like, you treat them right. as your family. Yeah. Like, you're showing me that you treat yeah. them as your family. I thought, and this is my hope, I thought her wish was going to just be to turn into a bear so she can fit oh. in with the rest of them. Yeah, that would work too. Uh, that would have that would have painted her in a in a much more sympathetic light. Yeah, and I would have so, loved to see like for them to beat Jack Corner. They just gave her the wish, and she quickly wished for it. And bam, bada boom, Golden Bear. Of course, this would not be the first time then that you know a prominent uh, female character in a, a DreamWorks movie or in more specifically the Strike Universe kind of bemoans the isolation that she feels as a human and embraces the more monstrous side. It in a nice narrative, if not a little, if not a little exploited. As I so, one thing that I will Fiona. mention is, well, first of all, it was hinted very hard in the story that that was going to be what she wished for. Yeah, uh, I I was getting more upset the more it happened. Well, here's the thing. I think that actually one of the things that we can point to for why she hasn't changed her mind about that is actually because of baby baby every every time like they act you know like how many siblings act where they're constantly digging at each other the and issue baby constantly is calls that her orphan every single time every single time they start to dig at each other baby calls her an orphan like up, up to, like, directly before she says, I'm going to wish for a family, he's basically calling her an unwanted orphan, not my sister, that sort of thing. And, you mm-hmm. know, I have an adopted sibling. Oh, yeah. It hurt. And, like, it, we have a weird situation with my adopted sibling. She is still my sister, and there are points that I do make fun. We adopted her at 17. And so there are times that I do throw the your adopted joke at her, but it's only ever in a very joking context. Uh, uh, context. Baby is throwing that at her to attempt to hurt her. And when mm-hmm. you do that to someone who is adopted, especially someone who worked. does not have like another family, it it's very painful for them. It's just a constant reminder that you were abandoned at one point. Well, I'm sure. But the same exact time for me, it's just the fact that these are just the way they're digging at each other the entire time. Like, that's all he has when she's over here calling him stupid every time she gets a second to. Well, okay. I mean, he kind of was. So then, yeah. Uh, I'm saying this question, Maurice, who you think, uh, and this is also <laughs> a very uh, subjective and contextual you're breaking up a little. As I always we need, uh, we need to do you. something about your internet today. I, I appreciate it's it. Cold. It's cold. Uh, yeah, Death got it. Death uh, has me in his grip. I don't know what to tell you. You're clear now. Bop, bop, bop. Bop, bop. You were back for a second and then went out again. Breaking your fucking... <laughs> Breaking your... I, I truly, God. truly... Uh, I truly what's going on here. I think. Am I back? Am I living? Yes. No, I'm not living. Periodically, no, you're, you're living. living. Okay. 
Unless you can't hear us, then of course you're not living. I can always hear you, which is the part that angers me the most. Question. But yeah, we can hear you. Yep. Who? This is conjectural, so I understand that this has no real answer. Who do you think was first? Baby insulting or Goldilocks insulting? Uh, Baby. ooh, just just in general. Yeah, like as soon as like uh, she was adopted. Who started this cold war, or I guess hot war, because they do it very publicly? Well, oh. actually, we get to the question in the backstory that we saw. Baby couldn't actually like speak. He he made a bear cub noise, which. Might have been because he was young, but also might mean that the bears couldn't speak until Goldie got there. I feel like it's because, you know, he is baby bear. At that time, he was a baby. Because they're both pretty grown now. Yeah. And this would not be the first nor last time that animals could talk. Now, so not all of them Here's what I feel like show. happened. I, I, special in there. I feel like if we're really going to go into this uh, with an honest hypothesis i would say that technically the first stone was thrown by goldie because what i would bet happened is goldie said he was dumb at some point for doing something dumb and in response the escalation was extreme from baby and you're like well you're adopted because he didn't have anything yeah, else to go for. Yeah, I'm about to say, I'm pretty like, baby's only thing he can go for is calling her adopted half the time. And it's right. like, I, from the way I can see it, it looks like it doesn't ever offend her. Uh, but she might be just, you know, really offended on the inside, but not showing it. So she, so he doesn't get a leg up on her. I That was part of the point that I was hoping to get into with this like, question and part of the conversation. Uh, the actual dynamics matter as much as the motivation that we eventually see drive her actions. If she never looked offended when he actively said it, means just as much it, when you compare it to the fact that this is indeed her wish. She mat it mattered to her, even mm -hmm. if she never showed it. Now here's the thing, though. Uh, while she never, you know, like it, you're adopted, and with oh, uh. She did very much have um, body language shifts whenever it was mentioned. Like, it was never anything, like, major, but it was subtle just motions and changes of uh, posture, which would definitely, like, lean towards me being correct, and these insults started a while ago, did get a higher rise out of her. Um, but as she got older, she's like, I don't want it to look like it's affecting me. And so she hides it a lot better now because she's heard it for a long time. But it still yeah. does get to her. But then there's also Papa and Mama who constantly remind her that you are, in fact, our daughter. And yes, she is your big sister. That's right. Um, they, the Papa and, Papa and Mama Bear do a good job. Uh, the other thing is that as a nice comparison of this hot war, as I'll call it, Baby Bear does show even more aggression, both to other characters and of course to Goldie when she calls him stupid, when she does bemoan and insult him. As she if I'm not mistaken, she's almost always riding on him. Whenever uh, Goldie she, does actually Yeah. Like I mean, she transfers Goldie so much, but she's mostly on her brother's back. Yeah. You know, the 
There's, there's a lot, and I thought about it before when we were watching. I think she's introduced on her brother's back. She is. Yeah, she is. I thought about it before when we were watching the movie and just how their general dynamics go. I was like, why is this white woman running around, you know, in this sort of pseudo privileged spot amongst three bears that are <laughs> that definitely were a family unit first? And of course, I'm I'm playing into that, making fun of Goldilocks as an orphan thing unintentionally by having that sort of opinion of no but it's much more so that her specifically being on baby and the relationship that she has with baby is is very very rich in a lot of the subtext and subtleties that come with not only real life human sibling dynamics but even the oh she arrives riding on works mama bear. Riding... mama bear okay she does okay cool 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 um it, it does feel like they, they become driving character motivators for themselves, for each other. Which is good, because that way, not everything is tied to Puss, Boots, um, and what goes on here. We have Jack, who's much in it for himself, the Bears and Goldilocks, who are much in it for themselves, and Kitty, who's in it for herself, but really, like, anybody will do, any friend. Can someone please give me a friend? And then Perdito shows up. Yeah. <laughs> They're all in it for themselves, pretty much, but it, it depends on the verities. Like, you know, one of your life backs, one someone you can trust, those are fine. But when you're just actively lying to these this family <laughs> of bears, it, it, it kind of gets yeah. to me because they, like, even Baby, I can tell, they all do love you, even with the back and forth. And it's like, you're not going to give them something out of this? Like, even it's if her wish was for both of them to get the families they always wanted, that would have been perfectly no, a, fine. It is, it is a definite it's a definite flaw that, fortunately, the movie itself explores during that titular moment where she admits her wish and the the implications that come with it. The fact that the bears are, are have nothing to do with it, nothing to do with her life, um, the idealized version but, that she dreams for herself. And Mama Bear, out of everybody, is, this, is the saddest of them all to hear that. Yeah, but that ultimately does uh, prop up the bears even more because even after they realized what her wish was, they were still like, "All right, let's go do it." Even baby who was the um, even baby who was the most upset still came along with it. He didn't leave and didn't go home. He complained for like all three minutes, but he's been complaining about doing things with Cody. Right? No, it's the Bob. It's the uh, the Bob's Burgers. I love this quote from Bob Fletcher. Uh, fine, but I'm going to complain the entire time. <laughs> That's exactly what I do. I, I will complain the entire time. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what made me really like the three bears. It was just the fact that even at the end of the day, they're still willing to get Goldie her wish. Uh, to the point that when they all arrive at a big surprise, they all get to the star at basically the same time at the end. And with their introduction, the person who actually says something is Mama Bear as she is the first one to enter the star, it goes, hey, that's Goldie's wish. Yep. Because uh, frankly, they're all happy. Yeah. And uh, it... Uh, obviously, for Maurice, it's not enough redemption. Goldie does have the chance. No, the no, end. it's redemption. I still love Goldie. Okay. I just hate her wish. Yeah, her wishes. Like, her redemption was more than enough. She said, fuck it, I'll... I love this family too much for that. I don't I even need life. a new one. I'm here. Yeah. I choose. I Dude. choose this asshole like hollow brother. So, <laughs> w- 
in the final bet, more spoilers, surprise. Um, when that whole "I'm gonna wear your clothes" that was weird shoots baby, uh, scene happens. Essentially, there's this wall of energy that has surrounded the star. That if it pulls you up too high, it literally disintegrates you. Um, the shot causes baby to get caught in it. Um, but Mama Bear and Papa Bear both go after baby and they try to pull him in the force pulling him up is too strong with where baby gets to before they can grab him it like is legitimately mama bear gets a hold of him and immediately papa bear has to grab onto mama bear to keep her from being pulled up with it that sort of thing goldie at that exact same time actually gets to the map which is what you need to make the wish she is alone everyone else is distracted and she does look like she's gonna go for the wish but she does abandon the map and she goes over she catches baby bear as he actually gets essentially sucked through the energy wall to be disintegrated and manages to pull him back in and the three of them pull him back to the ground and then goldie and the rest of them help with defeating jack corner because yeah jack corner needs to not get the wish oh yeah yeah that's that, definitely true <laughs> definitely But nice. yes, Rich, now we can go on to the loveliest character in this movie. Dog. Because technically, Say at hello. the beginning, he does Kaiser not have a name. Technically, uh, this is Kaiser's theory character who fell in love with him the very moment he saw him. <laughs> <laughs> the, it wasn't the moment I saw him. It's the moment this shot came on screen. <laughs> have little wanted posters like like puss in boots wanted goldilocks and the bears wanted poster jenny softballs wanted poster but then there's dog aka perito unwanted needs home <laughs> and i remember we were watching it and the first interaction between them is perito is a talking dog and he meets puss when he's at the cat lady when he's at his lowest and he's like oh my god you're a talking dog i have a talking cat let's talk exactly what yeah. a dog would say yeah. in this situation and Puss tries <laughs> to avoid talking to him and Perito is not having any of it he's like nope we're gonna talk and be friends and it it, it is you know like alright I'm learning about the character this, this character is interesting and then immediately is like oh what's your name and Puss gets named Pickles in the cat family house retirement home. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, oh, your name is Pickles? I don't have a name. <laughs> you can see it's not me, I don't have a name, or a home. And then it switches to this with the sad violin. <laughs> None of the tabs taken. None of the tabs yep. are taken. Granted, there's no like number to call on them. But yeah, none of the tabs are taken. And it was just, it hit me and <laughs> I believe I actively went, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was at this and moment. You know those, Kaiser knew. The, the funniest part, dog. this ain't the saddest thing to happen to me. It's not. His it will not be. I'm, I'm jumping forward. The sweater he's wearing is a sock his littermates put him in with a rock, tied it, and threw it in the river. 
<laughs> I did not feel that. They coming. tried to drown him, and he views this as a funny story. He thinks that they were just trying to win at hide and seek, and he still tag. just hasn't found them. Oh. I would adopt this dog in a heartbeat. Every, I love the way Kitty would. and Puss looked at him like it just pure horror. I can probably yeah, find that moment. Give me like, moment. like we all probably had the same expression of Oh, this poor dog. <laughs> they said how do we make this how do we make this character as sad as possible in this kid's movie? Eh, uh, fuck it, let's make it an adult movie. That's right. Uh did murder. So, Perito, as you will soon be called, uh, just as a placeholder name by Puss, meets him at the old cat lady shelter that Puss um, both was recommended to by aforementioned doctor top of the movie, but also just goes to immediately after losing to death and being scared shitless for the first time in his life, admittedly. He goes to this retirement home where he's stripped of his affections. By choice, he decided to bury the titular boots and hat um in yeah, one of the I believe he has funniest a funerals ever also yeah. the look uh, of shock at <laughs> at being told to start eh, don't look at that it's fine <laughs> i don't know how that happened <laughs> yeah f12 well yeah well uh, whoops <laughs> yeah f12 is you're, you're my hotkey for transfer screens good to know i cannot hit that button while i am also clicked in on chrome these are the faces of those who've heard <laughs> the most horrific thing in their lives. In the context, these are professional thieves and vagabonds who have seen horrific shit over the course of their adventures. And here's a tiny dog with a sock sweater because the sock used to be the murder weapon. That Puss wasn't actually a murder weapon because he got out. Puss killed his childhood best friend in the last movie. And this is more horrifying. <laughs> Fucking. Because it was a oh, long now, story of them trying this, to yeah, kill right. Perito. Now, this is because, of course, at this point in the movie, Perito has ingratiated himself in, in Puss. Of course, at this time, begrudgingly, uh, in Puss's life. When they met at the nursing home, he was downtrodden, uh, stripped of any semblance of, oh, freedom and expression of himself at the nursing home with uh, the funeral home for cats. He was treated much like anybody would be treated at a cat. He had to literally eat from a gigantic trough trough of cat litter, of cat food, not cat litter, pardon me. That's a different type of small pebble that are important to cats' lives. Had to eat from a trough with the pretty much 80,000 litter of brethren and sistren of non-talking cats at the place. He could not cook for himself. He was, in fact, sprayed with a bottle, Pavlov's conditioning style, whenever he was caught peeing in the human toilet or cooking with the human cookingware. So, at this point in the movie, he was just sad, depressed. It's been, like, a week. Got a beard now, as you saw in that screenshot that we put up here on stream. And he rocks that beard for a good portion of the oh, movie. Oh, don't worry. I found a much better screenshot to show their meeting point. Yeah, and that's where Perito comes into his life, masquerading as one of the cats. So, you know, uh, Perito's doing his best work here. Ah, yes. No one could ever know. No one could ever guess. 
<laughs> that is the look of a man who just wants to be left alone. And unfortunately, he met the most non-unalone person to ever, uh, non-unalone dog to ever show up in his life. I believe their conversation does partially go as follows. No habla ingles. Uh... Speak Spanish. Literally speak Spanish back at him. I don't speak any Spanish. I don't speak Spanish either. (laughs) (laughs) That was a clip actually used in the trailers for the movie as well. So, you know, nice laughs that you get to know before you get to know whoever the fuck this character is. I've already mentioned before with literally every other important character of this movie, they all have a wish. They all have something they want from the specific magic MacGuffin of this movie. What does Burrito want? Well, it's not necessarily via the wish. It's a home. No, he doesn't have a wish. That's it. Not, uh, nothing Nothing too crazy. Just, uh, just an actual home. Somebody to call. Uh, somebody to call a friend. Uh, very similar to Kitty, but without... You didn't even need a wish. I, I just got oh, you. Right. Yeah, right here. Right. And that is his actual response. Like, I don't actually need a wish. I'm good. So, I'm good, uh, dog. <laughs> yeah, and this is exemplified. Uh, this is exemplified in my favorite gag of Perito in this entire movie. Not anything he does in particular, although I'm sure one of us will talk about that. The map, that other MacGuffin that leads to the <laughs> oh stationary God. MacGuffin. The map was currently in Jack Horner's possession, but swiftly got stolen by Kitty. Uh, by a joint operation of Kitty and Puss, they weren't uh, working together at that point. They just literally happened to be there at the same time. When they got their hands on the map and were now doing the elongated chase for the second half of the movie to get to the MacGuffin that is the Wishing Star, the map itself, once opened, takes the Dark Forest, I believe the location is called, the 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 home of the uh, the home of the Wishing Star, yep. and transforms it into a list of trials and tribulations three to get to said star it's a fairly simple roadmap you just have to go through three pretty dangerous locations including but not limited to the mountain of suffering or the lake of despair and things of that nature those are not the actual things they're tailored towards the map wielder Mm-hmm. And yes, whoever touches the map has this location radically changed, but there's through still three obstacles three. You know what? When I Perito touches touch. the map, <laughs> when Perito touches the map, it transforms to a loving, lackadaisical, and brightly colored forest area where the last place, the last location, was called the field of easy solutions. Of the field of quick and easy solutions. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite part of this whole movie. Said Damn. Damn. He, had, <laughs> he had the best route to get to to get to the wish. Everybody yeah. else is just like a fucking Grimdark Warhammer 40k movie. So has... I must say, to be specific, <laughs> uh, to be specific so. to our other two main characters, Puss and Kitty, when Puss touches the map, real quick, it is I uh, uh, allow me to show. This is what it looks like right after Puss touches the map. Yes, it is the Mount Mordor, fire and brimstone, um, absolutely agonizing suffering. So real quick, actually, I think I just saw one that... So it's the Valley of Incineration, the Undertaker Ridge, and the Cave of Lost Souls. Yes, 
Uh, Kitty then touches it, and everything changes again. Give me a moment. I have to make sure that we're on pause screens when I show it to the thing so that we don't have to risk it. Sorry for podcast people for talking about visuals. But yeah, it becomes this. And so for those who are familiar with maybe Magic the Gathering, this is a green and black swamp deck where it's just nothing but gangrenous green ooze with floating rocks, decayed trees, and noxious gas all over the place. Super toxic. Because you know that I'm toxic. It's just as treacherous as the fire and brimstone that Puss had, so not, uh, neither of their options are really good. So, to read hers, she has the Swamp of Infinite Sorrows, the Mountains of Misery, and the Abyss of Eternal Loneliness. Oh, honey. <laughs> yeah, no, it hurts. It it really hurts. And then and finally, then, Perito. Perito. So this is Peritos. Yes, Perito. <laughs> and uh, look at that. I remember it the Candyland. It is the. I know the first one is the pocket full of posies, posies followed by. Right. Sorry the. The River of Relaxation. That's right. And then my favorite. The, the Fields of Quick and Easy Solutions. <laughs> What's it? <laughs> it's it's great. Uh, unfortunately, even for Perdito, uh, while his path looks the least treacherous, and both Kitty and Puss agree, and they, of course, in the joint, it's a very smart character decision go, you hold the map. The pocket full of posies was actually fairly intimidating. I'm they have giant this. flowers. I got this pause screen. And it... oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <that. gasps> Look at these two. They don't believe Well, here's the thing. They do Fun not fact, believe this At guy. this point in the story, neither of them trust him. <laughs> they Which literally, the like five part? seconds ago, we're like, I think that he, he says, well, I can hold the map for you guys. And they're both like, no! They straight yes. up think that this is this guy's a con man. And, Put, the, the kitty softballs actively at one point goes, bad. what's your fucking play here? And he's like, I don't know. What do you mean? What are you playing? I think she like said, five minutes and... before this exact scene, they, uh, uh, Puss had kicked him into the portal. He yeah. fucking yes. did your yes, right. That is correct. That is correct. Um, up until that, uh, up until that tragic backstory, pretty much the tragic backstory was the 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 final puzzle piece to unlock their sympathy receptors. Both Kitty and Puss have been lost in their own sauces. One of a desperate attempt to reclaim any semblance of peace and comfort. And the other, uh, a desperate attempt to find someone to trust, but have actively been shown not to trust it, and actively been proven to not to trust any, let alone any of the other characters in this movie. Uh, Perito's just here, dog. He's just here. Didn't... At this point, of course, uh, <laughs> both Kitty and both Kitty and Puss, they they're begrudging partners in all of this. Many of those other very important character moments between Kitty and Puss happen here in the Dark Forest, 
because the landscape does keep changing with the inclusion of all of the other characters coming in, meddling around, actively fighting, sometimes getting their hands on the map themselves, like Goldilocks and the Three Bears, in order to really in order to really add a lot of chaos to the second half of the movie. During this uh, during this beginning moment, real quick. Puss thinks very little of three. Can we as all evidenced like, by what we, you see here? Can we all acknowledge this 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 frame? I, 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 I'm looking at it right now. Uh, this dark portal, this dark portal has been here the whole time. Uh, Puss had no idea of knowing what was on the other side of the portal, and so the best way to test it: throw pretty to win. Um, little regard to the life. A key thing that goes on with the understated backs, uh, understated uh, analysis of all of our characters here. What? Those pockets full of posies I talked about, the very first trial that Perito's version of the Trials 3 undergo, they're gigantic flowers. And that doesn't seem so bad. Except for the fact that, like, you can't harm them in a way that matters. Put an asterisk down on that. Uh, they can be cut down, but not easily. Grow almost sometimes Hydra-like in that you cut one stem and two roses grow out, posies grow out of it. And one of the best ways to actually pass this trial is, well, what Perito would do. Stop. Smell the roses. Literally, you just sniff them. They appreciate being sniffed because they're sexual freaks like that. And they let you <laughs> I would just like to, to point this one out. Um, it <laughs> literally the the subtitles. If you look down at them, mm-hmm. it, you can literally see the dichotomy <laughs> of Kitty yelling in Spanish. And then well, she's fighting Perito for her life against these, against these against these posies. They are they are tough opponents, deceivingly, but Perito being. The greatest character ever. Uh, thank you very much. I will appreciate you never doing that again, phone. It's always so loud. I always feel uh, like I, I leveled up. <laughs> you have. Oh, one. The only reason why I bring this particular scene up is because I like the a lot of the dialogue. While I don't remember what specifically said, a lot of the subtext around it is. The River of Laxation, the unfortunate second trial we'll never see, and my favorite trial, the Quick and Easy Solutions, there is an appreciation for life that Perito is exercising here with these people. That unfortunately neither Kitty nor uh, neither Kitty nor Puss or the other character show. Like one I'll of the honest. only reasons why Yeah. If you put this into a D&D game, your players will destroy everything before they even think about sniffing flowers. They're going to get party wiped because they... uh, I feel like now is an important time for me to show what happens if you don't take your time. Uh, give me but a moment. I hated that part of the movie. Don't All fucking right. judge me in a movie. So... <laughs> You, you can see Mr. <laughs> Axeman with a cheese grater here. And if you will allow me, I cannot show you guys in the movie. And I will have to ask my friends to describe what happens to this man. So, he he does in fact get flower glormed. And you're like, ah, 
animated movie. It's, you know, I'm going to chop the heck out of this ficus Lyra. Uh, and then he gets glormed. But then the thing that I was not expecting was when the flower came away. Um, Give me your flesh. Yeah. Um, I'll take your skin. Not only that, but yeah. I think there's a really... I actually went past it because of the fact that I was hopeful the subtitle would come up. Um, you can see that the other one of the bakers does it, which is what this group is called, uh, is fallen to her knees. That man's name was Jerry. Can, can we say one thing God. about the bakers does it? What about they were hyped up to be like dangerous and like killers, and yeah, then. What's his name? Uh, everybody was saying their names, and then they would like do the shock thing. The Baker's and then, dozen. Yeah. And then uh, what's his name? The the main bad Jack. Big Jack. Jack. He Jack. killed them all. Like, yeah, he killed all, all of them. them. Yeah. The like, yep. no one else really, really harmed any of the Baker's dozen. Jack Corner got rid of his entire crew. The to last fair, bunch. This screenshot does disagree with you. I mean, this no, is him no, sending him Jack up against it. Jack is responsible for this because he is their boss, and he literally ordered this poor, unfortunate member of the dozen to attack the flower. The thing Even though he, he has a solution. Do. And this was like, when he pulled out Thomas's favorite weapon, the, the unicorn horn. This isn't where he pulls out right. the unicorn horn. No, he pulls out the this phoenix. Yeah, this is... He pulls he out, pulls out uh, Jiminy Cricket. And then he pulls out the phoenix and once again, Jim is like, ah, the mighty proud phoenix. What are you going to do with that? And then he grabs it by the fucking throat and squeezes it until it starts spitting fire like a flamethrower. It makes a great throw, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but yeah, even even at the very end, he killed his last remaining ones he, by using he them as a bridge. Oh, you mean those ones. Yeah, technically, it's not even that he uses them as a bridge himself. He does use them as a bridge and walks across them. The main issue is that he then tries to drive his fucking tank across them. All the while, by the way, his his poor people do like, wait, no, Jack, no, and then they, they all fall. Oh, the poor Baker's doesn't. They're all gone. <laughs> the poor doesn't. I don't think they deserve that fate. No. Well, the last one well, they did Jack they could have been assholes. Nah, you'll be fine. But this is the this is the near perfect dichotomy uh, that is also central to the, the to the movie and its relation and the entire movie's relationship with death. Even though Puss is the only one who um, has a major, there is great value and importance. In really taking stock of the currency of your life. Uh, currency is the wrong word if you're thinking about money, but rather the very mundane and sort of everything things that you have at this very moment that you can think about and count on. Uh, some of the hopeful privileges that you have in your life, even if it's not many or if it's not as much as you want, because sometimes taking those things or making your life out of constantly hunting for those things that should be or that you want may end up giving you a shorter life and possibly one less appreciative of the things that you already do have 
aka you will not have quick and easy solutions instead what you will have is what happens with goldie and what happens with boots when they get to their trial third we uh we've already talked about the name of pusses the was it cavern of lost souls yeah lost souls is the more important part rather than the, the the name of the location like geographically it is just a room a gigantic cavernous room with gigantic monoliths reflective of such and they glow and there's eight of them you already know where this is going all eight of puss's past lives are shown various visages on this and it's kind of like a very shitty discord call with your dude bro homies because every single one of the other puss lives are kind of braggadocious oh where have we heard that before they're all assholes they're all kind of unsympathetic and unsupportive of what puss really wants to do at this stage of the game various stuff has happened with other characters perito importantly had been uh kidnapped quote unquote by goldilocks and the three bears and puss was uh, scampered off with the map alone and got basically trapped in this cavern of lost souls so his express goal isn't necessarily to get out so he can get the star it's to get out so he can get to perito or at this stage past hearing the oh my god my brother's tried to kill me with a sock and a rock backstory he's like okay this person's important to me now i have been so wrong up until this point with my relationship with Renito, and i wish to make it better uh the other lies are like oh that's stupid what do you wish? <laughs> bring us back <laughs> We were we are great. We were great. I don't know about this guy. One of the eight lives says it's one of the worst things in terms of a childish uh, kids movie or fantastical reinterpretation of what some of us actually do in our own lives. Where we beat ourselves up in what I call the comparison game. It's not just had between you and another person. It is sometimes had between you and yourself. Uh, arguably, I think the more destructive version of it, uh, if you look particularly at your past. Because you will sometimes look at your past, maybe sometimes gloriously, like Puss does in this situation. And they have some issue, much like he did at the beginning of the movie, trying to reconcile the life that he has now that is radically different from his past lives. And even more so the legend and acclaim and ego that were attached to them. Of course, being the odd man out in his own life, uh, on nine lives, he does eventually get out of this cavern... But not because of overcoming something within himself. Unfortunately, no. So he has a little Death. help. Death shows up inside yeah, I, the cavern. A cavern that no one else can get to. The ca <laughs> If I, I could do the Kronk meme, I'd do it right now. I think somebody pointed it out that in this movie, every time you hear Death's whistle is a moment where Puss is about to die. And I think the cavern is the only time he appears... When Puss isn't about to die, and that's because yeah. Puss was facing his mortality. Yes. That's right. He was uh, contemplating. He whistles at the at the battle though. In the bar. I mean, well, he's trying to he's literally he, at that time in the battle case, that's also fine because he's actually there to stab him that time. Oh, the other time he whistles at the bar. He also yeah. just there to scare him. He just likes whistling. The bar was just setting the tone. The wolf just likes whistling. 
Yeah. What's more important is that the thing uh, is that whistle too. I, I don't know who said that, but I highly disagree because we hear him whistle at least three times, and Puss does not die any of those times. No, no, when he's about to die or is in danger. Like, uh, I think one of the times he whistles is when, uh, just when uh, Jack Horner and everybody else caught up. Uh, either the caught Jack up Horner... to him or was like, he was in the middle of the fight. Yeah, it was after... Jack... And then Puss just fucking books it yeah, out that of was the fight. The... Yeah, that's the one that I was talking about where he has a panic attack. It's free for all. Yeah, and it's not... It, it, he... Jack causes one of his men to explode. It knocks Puss a good distance away. He's relatively safe in comparison to where he had been. And then he whistles, turns around, and there he is. And it's like, oh, fuck, I'm leaving. (laughs) Must run. Yeah, like all the time he whistled, uh, Puss was was pretty much out of danger. Like he started whistling after they got in the cart and got away. Then you just hear a wolf whistling. Just, oh, then you find him in the middle of the street. So yeah, that person's take not the not the greatest as there is a particular purpose to Wolf's whistle when it comes to his again her relationship with Puss that I'll touch on in a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's the logistics of Cavern of Lost Souls. Death is here in a place that was conv- uh, shown earlier to be relatively inaccessible by the other characters because Kitty uh, could not make her way in the same way that Puss did once the entire dark force transformed um in that section so kitty was outside and she just and both of them decided hey all right i'll go get perito you get to the you get out of there not get to the star just get out of there that sometimes shows up breaks all of the other slabs of i'm a little disappointed and this is only because uh the characters or the characters that are the eight former lives are sort of caricatures and not necessarily fleshed out beings, even if the eighth one is legitimately a character we do since Shrek 2. Uh, they're all kind of like flippant about death breaking their fucking monoliths. Uh, despite mm-hmm. how self-centered they were, they showed little to him. no concern. They showed little to no concern except the, I believe the last one told them to run. I believe that was the eighth life, actually. Uh, most of them showed little to no concern when death showed up and started murking the other slabs. Mm-hmm. And of course, is there to presumably murk the ninth life, the last one that they need in order to exist as content. So I'm like, damn, you guys are the most unhelpful past lives. You're worse than the Avatar. See, the problem is this. The problem is this. What do they have to be afraid of? They laugh in the face of death. <laughs> True. They laugh in the face of death. Not this, this little one that yeah, they the... claim is it not that one that they claim is not one of them. That was literally what they were joking about before he showed up. The assholes. This is why nobody likes Puss in Boots. They four are now new current one, our ninth life. We like this guy. This is like the doctors from Doctor Who. I'm kidding. All the Doctor Who fans, don't kill me. Uh I'm sure the oh other my... doctors from the original miniseries was fine. To be fair, I also really like the Knife Doctor. <laughs> I did like the Knife Doctor, too. I like uh, pretty much all of the ones I saw. But my favorite is Matt I would actually like to do a bit of a, a, a discussion about this scene. Um, because th- this is our... It, obviously, he's not the titular bad guy. But this is the main antagonist of this story. 
Like, yes, Jack Corner is there. Jack Corner is evil man being evil. Yes, we have other people who are antagonizing our protagonists of Puss But for Puss's solo story, it's this is his antagonist. This is the overarching antagonist, even though, once again, he's not even the final fight of the movie. He is the main bad. We actually do get, like, for each of these characters, we do actually get a scene which, in some stories, it might not be necessary, but we do have scenes where characters literally explain their motivations, which sometimes you need. Um, But sometimes you don't. It's all up to the story. But this one has decided that everybody, you get to know exactly what their motivations are. And I think, I, I think my favorite line from death actually comes from this scene. Because he is literally like, I was here for, uh, this isn't the line, I'll tell you when I get to it. But he says directly, I was there for each one of your lives, or as I like to refer to them, deaths. Every frivolous one. He's not mad because Puss laughs in the face of death. He is mad because, A, he does not like the fact that cats have nine lives. Um, But... He despises Puss because he did not value any of them. Mm-hmm. Most things have one. He's had nine, and he only just now started to put value into his life. And that is not a direct so I decided quote. to take it. Yeah. It's not, but the sentiment is exact. I'm not a cat person. I find the very idea of nine lives absurd. And you didn't value any of them. So why don't... This is where my favorite line comes from. Uh, so why don't you, uh, I do us both a favor and take the last one now? And then one of his lives yells, that's cheating. And his response is to throw his little scythe into the crystal that it's in and go, shh, don't tell anyone. And I fucking love that that's his line. Because I'm like, who the fuck would he even tell? <laughs> You're literally dead. <laughs> Do you have a manager I can talk to? Hey. Will you will you tell me oh. who your manager is? No. His life. <laughs> and we all know everyone's... Definitely. We all know, like, the entire fan base favorite line of him saying he's deaf straight up. Yeah, yeah, that line that I, meme goes around a lot. I'm gonna be 100 yeah. honest. I did, but not that's not like my that favorite one. line. Yeah, I, I loved I, it. I just, I think it, it, I think it was great, but it went on a little bit too long. Like if it stopped like a second short, shorter, it would have been better. I think it. it let me Sorry, I'm, read it, to you I the entire he says, line. I am dead. Not metaphorical. Not metaphorically, uh, not metaphorically, not metaphorically, rhetorically. I'm death right. straight up. But what he or says theoretically is, or any other fancy way. He literally says, I don't mean it metaphorically or rhetorically or poetically or theoretically or any other fancy way. I'm death straight up. And uh, motherfucker, that's so many different versions. You did not need to say fucking uh, mm. metaphorically or poetically or theoretically like, or rhetorically. Nah, I think or, he needed to say all hype, of them. I love that. Or as a hyperbole I, or as no, a I just, simile. I, I, I think the that. very casual because uh, part of what we get in terms of a characterization of death is that he's actually fairly he's not whimsical, unfortunately. That's my version of death. I like whimsical death, so DC's endless version of death is one of my favorite uh, characters. 
But this death is he's chill. He's lax. One of the uh, first things that we see him in is actually the bar, but the very opening fight of the movie against the giant rock golem, there's a crowd of people cheering, ongoing uh, Puss's success in this daring act of heroic um, adventure. And the entire crowd that we see in a panic shot does the wave, the crowd wave. You're familiar if you've ever seen sports or have been a part of sports yourself. The only person in that entire scene that doesn't actually participate in the wave, to my disappointment, but to my understanding, is Death. He's hooded in the dark corner of the scene. You, you'll be able to see him if Yo, you decide he to watch actually that. actually did the wave. And I said it. I made us pause, and I was like, is he going to do it? Because I didn't see it the first time until noticing after the wave passed where he was positioned of, like, did he participate in the wave? Because that would have been fun. Let's. He did not participate in the wave. I feel like I need to because get credit is, where credit is due real quick. He is, both, he is both lax but serious about what he's doing and why he's there. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like we need to give credit where credit is due. Uh, 75% of Wham! did not actually notice death. The 25% that did was Maurice. And Maurice literally went, oh, there's death. And we were like, huh? And we had to pull it back because, you know, there he is in the upper left. Just yeah, in I'm the just corner. like watching the wave and I, my eyes just glance over and was like, what's that giant thing in the back? Oh, that's death. I mean, to be fair, I already knew what he looked like. I just never seen this scene. So, yeah. you know, if I didn't know he was deaf, I would have still picked out that there's a gigantic wolf in the back. He is fucking <laughs> huge. And this he's crowd like... of humans. Yeah, he's ever present. He's casual, though. The the scene, the titular scene, I should say, that starts this inciting incident of Puss's character arc is that death just shows up sitting at the bar. Out of all of the things that Death could have done, could have proudly uh, kicked down the door and like, Puss in Boots, I have come for you in Death. There was no... Oh. No... No book. It was, well, characters that they are like the more literal personification of Death that he is. Yeah. You were going to say something, guys? No, you, you just... You would start a dying... Ah, because I keep talking about death and he wanting to put a claw ass router. Uh, unfortunately, my router likes it a little too much. I say, unfortunate. Real quick, uh, on a different note, uh, this is going to be this, awkward. Just a piece of, up. just a piece of proof to what we were talking about earlier, where Kitty was like, "Perito's a liar." This <laughs> nice try, classic cod. No one's that stupid is the next line that's happening as we have this shot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it is big oh old Lord. dumb face. I love him. <laughs> Speaking of that, can do. I say... Indeed we do. So everyone's favorite deaf line is the, you know... And by everyone, I mean like the general audience is the I'm deaf straight up. But that's not my favorite deaf line. My I have two favorite death lines. It's the one after he uh gives the speech that uh, Kaiser was talking about, where he says, "Um, but you but you never even noticed me because Puss in Boots laughs in the face of death, right? But you're not laughing now." 
<laughs> and the other sure. one that is perfectly uh I can't uh which one was it? It was the one where they were fighting in the bar. Uh-huh. And let's see, there's two of them in the bar that I liked. It's where um sure. Puss thinks he's a bounty hunter and he thinks everyone thinks they'll defeat me. No one has ever escaped me yet. And I was like, ooh, hinting that you're deaf. Interesting. But it was the other one where he t- keeps going closer to Puss and just like, pick it up. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's my yeah, favorite line. That is a very prevalent line. Be terrifying. Yes. And that one was my favorite. Pick it up. Yes. And I actually would like to take a moment to talk about that line because it, yeah. it's a very smart. Uh, there are a lot of very smart writing choices that they do to... Alright, that was a little bit weird. Sorry, I've got the Wait, first fight in the bar. Before you before you get deep into it, mm-hmm. uh, because none of us spoke Spanish, I did look up the last line when he was... after he's defeated by Puss. Oh, the thing that he yells? Yeah. What does he, he yell? He, why the hell did I play with my food? Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, But there are subtitles they give us to us. Yeah, the subtitles do not tell you what the Spanish things that are said are. Um, By the way, the thing that I said that... uh, Well, that was weird. Um, Let's see, how many frames is it? Okay, it's few enough frames. So, I would like for you guys to uh, look at your part of the stream, if you could, for a moment. Um, so, <laughs> just got him by the throat. Yeah, but that's not the thing that I was like, all right, well, that was weird. Um, so this first interaction between them, yeah, it very much is, d- d- death just wins very easily. Um, and there's a bit of parallelism that I'll bring up in a moment, but I am going to go frame by frame. I want you to watch the chokehold that he has on Puss because it'll be very obvious when I'm like, well, that was weird. I can't go any faster because if I go too fast, then. You could get a crop. Uh, oh my god. Yeah. The oh, that's why I'm actually. Oh. <laughs> hold on. I was actually going back in time and I need to go forward in time. You gotta love those stretch physics that happen sometimes. Beautiful. Sorry. Um, th- that wasn't the part that I was like, well, that was weird. Uh, again, I accidentally went back in time instead of forward in time with the frames. Uh, this is the part that I found weird. Because he has him in that chokehold, and then he just kind of goes... Ah. He just... It's... He just... Moves his thumb across Puss's face. Bring them in nice and close. <laughs> but scared as hell. Like, are you, are you, are you about to kiss me? Well, don't threaten me with a good time. Furry. And that's why. And that's why. Literally half of the internet considered oh, death. There it is. I've mentioned this before to our friends. Uh, hello, I am back. Death has unfingered my router. Uh, <laughs> don't describe it like that. I, so, the kids the show. More this happens, the I found more the other that happens, the worse I'm gonna get. Yeah, so, I found the other um, line I like. Thank you. Uh, I would yes. like to at least get this joke out first. 
Yep. Meantime, uh, prior to us watching the movie, I had actually seen a meme over the internet of the funniest thing ever. Since 2016 Zootopia, at least for the memes purposes, every single year we've gotten one animated canine daddy and say hello to <laughs> Mr. Canine Daddy of 2023, Death of Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. What was the... Wait, didn't he come out 2022? Um, the other line, I think, so? Maybe? I don't oh, remember. I don't remember. It could have been 2023. I mean, Whatever the it, recent year was in the meme. I'll give him the year. Um, the line is... Uh, after he uh, knocks Puss away and kind of cuts him open and the lightning strikes, he just goes, oh, I love the smell of fear. And then the lightning strikes, and that's just my favorite scene because just the red and yellow of his eyes is horrifying. And I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, that's great. I can, in fact, get that for you because I just saw it. it, They played the creep factor um, very well for him. He doesn't appear to be a friendly chap. Unlike because... literally everybody else in the movie outside of Jack. Yes, look at him. That's coming for you. Yeah. And that is one thing that I did really like it about this. It is a, you know, it's obviously a kid's movie. This is a cat fighting a wolf. The cat is, u- sorry, the cat is using a tidy rapier and the dog has two scythe swords. That can big fold over into fucking punchy fists. But they do enough to make death. I wouldn't want this death after me. True. I like I'm a grown man and I own weapons myself. I don't want to have to fight this fucking thing. Pick it up. Pick it up. It, it, Which one? That, that's as basically me, Kaiser and Maurice every time I want to quit drawing. As many yeah, the death says pick it up the Kaiser. Kaiser is looking at his litany of uh, both claymores down to daggers. Which one? Whichever pick one you think up. is the most fun. All of them. Come on. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't want you to over encumber yourself. That that'd be like giving away giving your life away too free. Pick your pick your favorite one. Which one you want to be buried with? I also I really like the fact that um so. To jump forward in the story a little bit, uh, because I want to talk about the last fight a little bit. Haven't um, been jumping all over the place. Yeah, you know what? I'm still going to apologize, but I do it. Um, but there is a when Puss is being chased by Death in the Cavern of Lost Souls, he does actually like run away, get out of the cave, and then he sees Kitty Softpaws and Perito who have literally just escaped the bears. And And one of the funniest scenes. Yes, but we'll get to that one in a minute, because I'm already on this route. Um, But he runs all the way to the star, and he gets there, and he starts to, like, do the wish. And that's when Kitty shows up, and she's like, I fucking thought I could trust you again, but clearly I was wrong. And he does yell at her just before the big fight starts. Kitty, death is after me. And she's like, huh? And... You know, Death does actively show up at this final fight, and he does this thing where uh, apparently Death has the power of red fire, and he... Also, before we forget, remember that thing that we talked about earlier where if you go into it, it kills you. Death walks right through it. Oh, yeah. Like, happily. 
I oh. feel like I need to show screenshots of that too. But like, like that thing kills people. Yeah, and death is like it's whatever. Yeah, let me give me a I moment. Mean, I will find the screenshots to. This isn't this. fucking. Uh, this isn't fucking supernatural. You can't kill death. <laughs> death I bitch made that like that. Supernatural. I hate it. This is the last of the baker's dozen being caught up in the energy wall. And ah! I'm gonna not risk getting the copyright, so I'll just bounce back and forth a little bit. Oh my god, she I'm sorry, that was just her being shot by the thing. Mm-hmm. Gee, it's excruciating. No, she's that was her being shot help. by Jack Horner. This is her in the wall. Poor lady. And then she is, Mr. Horner, I need help. And then he doesn't. And let's see if I can. Uh, yep, there it is. So I'm not going to risk going through it. As I said, it literally disintegrates you. For those of you listening on the podcast, it literally is a colorful explosion of almost confetti. That was going to be baby. That was going to be baby. But, um... Oh, yeah, I completely forgot about that. Fucking... Jack Corner actually gets beaten twice. He does have the magical things from uh, Alice in Wonderland that makes him grow super big. Uh, but the first time he gets defeated, it's actually by Kitty, uh, because they're they're fighting, and he reaches in the back and he goes, "Maybe it's time for us to bury the hatchet." And he pulls out a hatchet, but then Kitty just drop kicks him, and he goes, "I shouldn't have telegraphed it." <laughs> and then, he falls into the nanny bag. Yeah, I fucking, mm-hmm. I fucking love that shit. Um, oh, it was for John Lee was a great choice for a villain. But yeah, so I'll fade in and I'll do a couple of the screens. So that's him, obviously, on the outside of it. And as you saw, that lady who was caught in it was yanked into the air and then turned into confetti, or you heard it described. Death just casually. It, it's very, it's very casual. He just very casually walks straight through it like it's not even there. I mean, it's not. Because you know what is on the other side? My food. <laughs> my my All right, real quick. I'm going through this frame by frame. This is fucking clean. It is. It is. And he's whistling the whole time. And puss is having a panic attack. And fucking look at the <laughs> blades as he comes through. <laughs> look at his Gee. poofy tail. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, that yeah. might have been too much as it is, but fuck it, I'll blur it out if it is. Um, But yes, and I want to talk a bit about this fight because it is very much a parallel of their first interaction. Which also, their first interaction is, like, less than a minute long fight. Mm-hmm. And Puss is standing there, he's got... God in his he's got the map, and he can, in fact, wish for more lives right now. 
Um, and Death just yells at him, are you going to take the coward's way out, or are you going to fight? Or run away to more lives, or are you going to fight? And he throws him his sword, which Puss actually has not had for the majority of this movie. He, the first pick it up, he doesn't. He fucking runs to the bathroom and swims out through the toilet. It's symbolism for he lost his edge. And he gets the sword tossed to him, and he's sitting there looking at the fucking map. And I believe he probably just has the intelligent realization, oh, if I wish for more lives, death is just going to take all of them. All I, of them. I don't think he'll stop. I think he'll just sit there stabbing you until I'll, you're fully dead. I'll beat oh. you nine times, Gato. Um, the less you're smart, I wish that death could never Go come. dirty and Hercules and fate, sir. Just like uh, Lord Slug, I should have wished for immortality. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but he, there's this thing where in the first time he gets cut, there actually is this like montage of his life flashing before his eyes. And it is a number of shots from the first movie, including the nice uh, lady who ran the orphanage that Puss was raised in, who gave him his boots. Which, uh -huh. for those of you who haven't seen the first one, that was probably confusing to you. Um, but yeah, that, that was... Essentially, Puss became not exactly a sheriff, but like a deputy in the town that he lived in after he helped to prevent a major robbery, and he got given a pair of boots... But then he lost, uh, essentially lost his position because of the fact that Humpty Dumpty used his position to also rob things. And he got caught up in the mix because Humpty tried to get him to join him with it. And then they got caught and Puss got punished for it. It was very sad. Oh, so Humpty Dumpty's the bit. Yeah. But then, and the, the music does alter with the scene. It, it The first ones was literally him as a uh, puppy, him getting the boots, and then it was just him getting him as a puppy. Did I say sorry? Him as a kitten. He was Puss in Boots. Surprise was never a puppy. But then uh, the montage actually continues, and he starts to see scenes from the movie, and Perito and Kitty, along with it, instead of it just being him. And he decides that he's going to fight. And this is where the first parallel from the first fight actually come back into play. Because when the first, you know, his life flashing before his eyes happens, death does in fact ask, what's the matter? Lives flashing before your eyes? Because obviously there's more than one for him. And he didn't say anything and he ran. This time he... Starts off with the same question that he ended with last time. What's the matter? Lives flashing before your eyes. And the response is no, just one. As he is only thinking about this life at this point. Um, And then he does, in fact, pick up his sword. And he yells a line that I find to be incredibly amusing, despite the fact it makes no sense. The fear me if you dare. Which kind of allows us to... We haven't come full circle. We've made a squiggly line that has arrived parallel to where we were at the beginning. A squiggly line. Yeah. yeah. It curves a bit, but it's not a circle. Well, it's a, it's it's a, a circle if I drew it on chalkboard really fast. 
it's a it's a great metaphor that nothing was as simple as easy as the field of quick and easy solutions would have led us to, but we got there. Yeah, and he has regained some of his gusto and his bravery, but he's not the he's not the same braggadocious and fragrantly laughing in the face of death adventurer that he was like. At the beginning in that first fight with the golem, there's a point where he actually gets, like, thrown through a wall. And he ends up, like, I think he takes, like, the shutters with him. And he's just sitting there with his hands behind his head, just relaxed, going through it. Like, eh, whatever, this is fine. Yeah, he's, like, on a door or something, just going through each wall. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Death is very happy to see him back and ready to go. The two of them have their fight, and, you know, things go better than the first time they fought but puss is very much losing he ends up being disarmed and dehatted but that matters a whole lot less than the fact that he is missing his sword um now he's been missing his sword for the entire movie and we showed that he had a beard after his time with the adoption clinic which kitty does actually shave for him because it itches and after she is done, she gives him a, it's a fucking tiny, it's a knife. And she calls knife. it her Catito Blade. The Catito Blade! Yes, Catito because blade. the hilt is also a cat. Um, After being disarmed, Death kind of just saunters up and he's like, well, time to kill you. Uh, oh, you really gotta stop losing that is his line. And yeah. he swings, and I, I believe we can talk a little bit about this later. Uh, I showed this movie actually to my mother, and my mother hates the f- the way that the fight scenes are done. But I think that this shot is it the dynamic zooms. There's a lot. Well, again, we'll we'll get into that later. Um, I think that this shot is fucking great because what happens is is Death does the swing, he blocks it with a tiny knife. And then he gets literally spun in a 360 because death is way fucking stronger than him. And he just slides around on the star, uh, grabs his hat, does the full 360, stops run between uh, death's legs, and grabs his sword. That's right. Uh, what he lost from that very beginning of the movie, and he unfortunately did not show all the way up until now, was swagger. And swagger immediately <laughs> coincides with the ability to slip and slide across a battlefield. Before like the, we... Like an episode of Yuri on Ice. Just see what we had to deal with when they brought up Spanish words. Yep. This is my speaks in Spanish blade. It's just catito. Yeah, that's fine. I'm going to agree with you. I think uh, a lot of... Uh, outside of the full phrase that you mentioned Death says at the very end where he's like, I shouldn't have played with my food, a lot of other Spanish used in this is written not in a sort of uh, like half-and-half half bilingual sense. It's very context-based that you know what the Spanish is for. When they say gato, when they say pedo, they are talking about dogs and cats. When it says the Catito Blade, since that's a very custom word, obviously it, it, you have to pick up on I the think idea. Catito that the is just a kitten. The kitten blade makes I sense. Believe so. 
it, if that's the case, right? If it's not a custom word, then a lot of context is used uh, with the help of our English language and possibly whatever native language this is when it gets translated to your native. You'll understand what's going on. Um, it does just make the very uh, the bleach effect from the, the anime bleach effect happens here where the Spanish just makes it sound cooler. Now, um, to get back into the parallels, uh, there is a moment wherein there's this move that Puss has been doing for this movie where he essentially goes through the air and just star formations and spins at people. And, he does cartwheeling. Yeah. <laughs> um, the first time he did it, that's where we got that, uh, I guess, choke me wolf daddy moment where he just gets grabbed out of the air. And this time he I'm... does... Fairly certain he actually did it against the golem as well. He does do it against the golem. He does it technically to Kitty because yeah, he gets thrown. he smacks right into her. Yeah. Um, With my favorite line from Papa Bear. Could have done that. Babe. But this ah. time, he does actually manage to land it right as um, Death actually, and I'm going to show the screenshot for this. He lands uh, essentially a drop kick to his head, which I believe normally he's going at them with the blade. Um, and as you can see, Death attempted to catch him with the blades, but closed them just a little too slow. Although the next frame confuses me. Allow me to show you what I mean. I don't. I don't know what happened. Animation crazy. Like, where did Puss go? Oh, you know, Puss is just so awesome in this moment that he had to just uh, dislocate his corporeal form in order to land a massive strike um, that would be critical damage to to Wolf in this moment. These are literally one frame apart. That's right. Uh, you see that there's two impact points, right? Uh, this is the power of dislocating your corporeal form. Uh, you choose two moments in space time to exert your will, and everything <laughs> that you want to happen will happen. I'm sorry. I I decided to find a look at the next frame. Okay, we're back to normalcy after that. It was just those two frames. Anyway, um, but that brings me to why Maurice's comment reminded me of the parallelisms between the two fights because Puss actually does in fact from that hit disarm death sort of halfway instead of keeping it in the fight continuing though Puss actually pushes the sword to him and he does in fact throw back at him pick it up he tells death this time. No, you. That's right. My favorite. 
kind of thing to ever say, even to the very concept of death. Ah, look at the bystander back worrying. What the fuck happened to Purito's head? The hey, fire waves. It came one, yeah, wiggle, it came wiggle, wiggle. Flames. But yeah, I, I pulled up here for the, the subtitle. Pick it up. Pick it up. Thanks, Antonio Banderas. You're welcome, I don't buddy. think I will. And that actually brings us to something I really like about this fight scene. We don't have someone get introduced as this essentially destroyer character who's this supernatural being and then have them get trounced because the main character starts to believe in friendship. Plus landed a dropkick and then gave him back his sword after being disarmed himself earlier. And he literally says, I know I can never defeat you, uh, but I will never stop fighting for this life. Yay! And Death lets him go because he no longer sees the arrogant little shit stain that he saw at the start. And he wasn't too happy about it. No, he, he his his delivery is very yeah. angry. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And then when he leaves, he seems a lot more calmer. But, you know. Yeah, because he is. He's generally a chill dude. Uh, but I said all of this to go like, all right, then why is, why is Death showing up right now in such a confrontational way, even though he was there for the eighth life as well, just in the background? Death did have a bone to pick with uh, with Puss in Boots, but then more notably with the idea that, like, hey, you are talking a lot. You have been talking bad on my name for so long, and you're this big, heroic concept. What if you just died, though? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> That'd be cool, wouldn't it? So let me just end it now. And now that Puss is like, no, no. I'm no longer Puss in Boots. My name is Antonio Bandetta. I will have a loving, uh, I will have a loving life with my homies, uh, Sama Hayek and Harry Gullivan, who voiced Pedo. And Death is like, Whack! Come on! Boring! I came here to kill a legend. I wanted the glory behind killing your dumbass. Now I'll just come reap your soul normally in like, I don't know, two months. I don't know how long you'll last. This is also Puss's <laughs> response to him, like, to him getting angry at him, but not swinging. <laughs> like, uh, uh okay. You know I'll come back, right? Um, you, you know we will meet again. What is it that he says in Spanish, Maurice? Uh, why I, the hell did I, I play with my food? Why the hell did yeah. I play with my he literally yells, why the hell did I play with the, my food? And then he turns to Puss and goes, you're ruining this for me! Yeah, he wanted the glory behind it. He was kind of bored. I had honestly. forgotten about that one. And that's really funny. You're ruining this for me. He was very upset. And it turns oh. out all Puss needed to beat Death wasn't to believe in himself or to overcome any obstacles. He just needed a second weapon. Dual will, people. Yeah, Dual he will. did. He did embody the Kirito school of get your problems done. Get your problems <laughs> I, I would like to read these lines. I came here for an arrogant little legend who thought he was immortal. But I don't see him anymore. This does a fucking weird spin with his blades and she's them. Live your life, nope. Puss in Boots. Live it well. 
And then he walks to the edge of the fire and looks over his shoulder and goes, You know we will meet again, right? And then Puss's response is, See... What was it? Lobo Muerte? So if he said Lobo Muerte, even if he just called him the Wolf of Death. Wolf of Death. Let me... You know the one thing that kind of... Um, I'm going to check that one. Disappointed in a bit, but, you know, I'm not too disappointed in. Mm, kind of said... Death didn't come back to take Jack Horner's soul or something. I mean, like, he's, like he's he always there in visibility, but like I like I said before, he got what's worse than death. He he comically, he comically got wrapped into a singularity explosion and just yeeted off into fuckface space. And at that point, I'm not even sure Death is like, nah, he that that was handled he's without my doing so. Thanks for that. <laughs> Thanks for doing my job for me, I guess. It's not like I literally depend on this for existence. He, I, I, I was wrong. He says, hasta la muerte. See you in hell. But according to Google Translate, it means to the better end. Yeah. Mm. What? To the end. Let me look something up. What does hasta mean? Hasta means go go. Hasta delgato. It does mean until. I'm sorry. We are mostly black and white. We don't speak the Spanish <laughs> all too well. I mean, yeah. I speak a little Spanish. We yeah. don't speak the Spanish all too well. Do you do you speak enough to have a fluent conversation with Pedal? See. <laughs> nice. I could ask him how his weekend was. <laughs> Which is a surprisingly complicated thing to ask in Spanish. It's como estuvo el fin de semana. Oh. Uh. Hmm. I'm glad I got you with that. Classic. I treat all of the women I spend time with relatively the same. Now, As sisters. <laughs> That's why I said relatively. There is, I believe, one more thing I want to touch on for this movie. Okay. It's actually the the middle of these Trials 3. While they were on the River of Relaxation, because after all, Pedo had the map and Carol's world, uh, uh, things got quickly, quickly chaotic. When, if I'm not mistaken... Uh, in lieu of not having a sword, Puss had a stick. Yes. The same stick found at the cat orphanage uh, in lieu of the missing rapier and was running around with it for a bit. Of course, during this River of Relaxation scene, Kitty does eventually give him the Katito Blade uh, as a gift for, for, shaving him. for shaving him. But before that, th his main weapon was a stick. When he realized that he didn't need the stick anymore, he threw it. And unfortunately for him, Pedo is a dog. So Pedal ran over <laughs> to grab the stick uh, and ended up being in the clutch of Jack Horner. That is how he initially got uh, taken away from the group. And of course, Oops. the map was also with uh, Pedal because that, 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 this is Pedal's world currently. A big, big battle ensues. This is where we get that aforementioned gag of uh, Jack pulling out the baby unicorn horns and finding out exactly what they do in one shot. 
as he uses, I believe, a crossbow to launch the arrow to launch the horns into those. Uh, he he tries to target, and by tries, I kind of mean like in the loose general direction of. So he every single time he's launched a horn, it hits one of the baker's dozen, and confetti kills them. Some of that confetti oh, man, gets yeah. into Puss's mouth. That it is actually probably the most horrifying part of the entire movie. No matter how creepy death is, it, the death, the kind of death death was offering is actually tame and mundane to pretty much every other creative death we see in the entire movie. Oh, thanks to big old Jack Horner. Oh, thanks to big old Jack Horner. Oh, uh, but there was something really nice about the like. It's hard to call it blocking when you're talking about animation because camera angles are never fixed. They are always where the animators want them to be, and so you see what you want. But in terms of laying out the entire battle, uh, if you used figurines and sort of implied blocking based on how characters enter and move throughout the scene, it was a wonderfully chaotic thing uh, to have happened where everybody was focused, of course, on the MacGuffin in question, with the exception of Puss, where at a certain point, I think after like the second Baker's Dozen got confettied and got a little bit in his mouth, that is when Death shows up with the iconic whistle far and away on the other side of the river of relaxation, immediately sending shock and fear into Puss, but no one else, because everybody else was focused outwards from the river on their side, looking towards the map. And it's very smart blocking to help at first insinuate the idea is death even real up until a certain point because literally no other character interacts with death outside of Puss, who is mortally mortally crippled with PTSD. Yeah. And like it, it it's not two. I think it's four. Cause let's see. That's two. Jack Horner is like, ah, the sights are off. <laughs> yeah. It's the third one, and the third explosion does actually knock him away from everybody. Mm-hmm. And he does actually see the map and, like, kind of makes a step for it. And the moment the first whistle is heard, his hairs yeah. all begin to stand on him, which is something that uh, DreamWorks did animate very well, if you ask me. Wherein, like, yes. you know, show the. Show you see the cat's equivalent of goosebumps, or the actual equivalent of goosebumps, because those with hairy arms also experience this. Their pores and stuff of Titan. Yeah, so you can see it on his his right arm or the arm to the left for us, where all the fur is standing on end. Uh, this is something that we haven't necessarily talked about, and it wraps very well into. The relationship that he has with Apeto in this movie, uh, Puss gains PTSD. And some variation of it. Uh, of course, the traumatic incident in question is getting his ass kicked by Wolf the very first time in the bar. And uh, even more specifically, the moment he gets cut, uh, that particular ego shattering thing is just as much of a traumatic experience. And in Puss's case, an even more so appropriate traumatic experience than actually dying eight times prior. He's been pretty flippant about that all the way up until he gets cut by death the first time. Realizes uh, things got serious for him. 
And so one of the other things that we look at when it comes to the psychology of Puss over the course of this movie, all of the, the emotional beat by beat, is that he becomes emotionally withdrawn. But partially because of the conditioning from the cat lady in the cat orphanage. He wasn't allowed to cook for himself, wasn't allowed to piss in the human toilet like he's been doing his whole life, was denied a lot of the same uh, privileges and comforts he had lived his entire life doing. And so was you know treated as just another... Uh, babyfied kitty cat. I'm gonna be real with you. I wouldn't want to live in that place if I was a cat. I would have probably left a long time ago and just left my chances with the wolves. But this is not my life. This is pusses. This is how he deals with the crushing trauma and realization and fear behind why he even decided to take up the doctor's suggestion of coming here in the first. After he meets Pedo, much like trying to meet anybody in your life when you're in a downward spirits he is generally unresponsive uh sure he gives snappy one backs because he's still antonio vendetta puss in boots still is a funny person and a very sassy person uh, inherently but he's not spirited in any way shape or form only until after of course he can uh the goldilock and the three bears come to this orphanage to look for him at the time to hire him and enlist his services to find the last wish confirming Puss's real, uh, confirming Puss's uh, rumor that he thinks it exists, that is the only thing that really nice his passion to actually get out of the thing. He would have pretty much been wallowing in self-mourning otherwise without that uh, incident to incite action in him. Over the course of the movie, he spends his time with Pedo. Pedo is nothing, absolutely nothing short of funny, slightly charismatic, but more importantly, supportive during these trying times for Puss, as he lives with a lot of denial, even within himself, about the circumstances that he's going through. After this scene with uh, the chaos of trying to get Pedo and the map at the River of Relaxation, he gets scared shitless by death, and he runs. He doesn't think about almost anything else. The hairs stand on end, much like the first time he was cut in the bar. This heart starts racing faster. All signs for those who have experienced it, or those who know people who have experienced it, a panic attack, an emotional breakdown. These are one of several that he's going to go through over the course of the movie, and we talked about some of the others already. But it's during this scene that he runs deeper into the forest that has now been transformed, I believe, when Goldilocks gets her hands on the map. Correct. And... During this version of our, our second trial, he escapes Death's pursuit, but not really. And Death I mean, doesn't really yeah. pursue him at this moment. Right. And that's why, while you didn't see me do this, I don't have cameras on, there was air quotes in that pursuit. The mere thought of Death pursuing him was enough to us to go down this uh, emotional spiral and fear response. He ends up laying across a tree where Pedo is the first to find them because he can smell the motherfucker. And Pero finally gets to overhear the circumstances behind notably a lot of this sort of uh, emotional, not the emotional dumping, the ranting. A lot of the ranting that Puss had been wanting to go through but never found any support before to even do this kind of thing. He talks about what happens, uh, what happened with his engagement kitty the regrets that he have about it the fear that he generally has about this being his last life and why he can't even just 
feel comfortable sharing that information. Uh, while he doesn't say this exact line or even hint towards this line, I always like to read this. It's like, it feels a lot more real to him if he said it. But of course, during this emotional breakdown, it is real whether he says it or not, but at least now he has someone here who is there to support him. And it's very obvious early on that this is the relationship that they eventually share because various other characters joke about it before that this is his therapy dog. Pedo is an emotional support animal. Uh, analogous to anybody who is a piece of anyone's emotional support if you're a good friend family member or medical conf uh, mental health confidant like that props to all of you pedos are standing in this does a very beautiful job of taking care of uh puss just by being there for him, gently laying his head on uh puss's tummy it's kind of hard when the anatomy is so small it looks like his chest but it's his tummy and allows was to pet his hair something that pedo actually exclusively uh, explicitly said that he wanted to ha have in terms of a relationship like the the wish that pedo himself has he was like i want to be somebody i want to be uh supporting somebody i actually want to be a therapy dog i believe this is his exact quote for stated goal so you know pedo just stays winning if pedo pedo could have soloed death I, this is all i'm reading this does nothing but stay winning if anything, Death is actively <laughs> keeping this dude alive. <laughs> yeah. Death is like, mm. you know, I hate that cats have one life, but I got a soft spot for dogs. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I think, Thrown in I a think river I could give him inside one of more. a sock with a rock. I'm going to push you to the surface. I feel I feel a kindred spirit with my canine. But I feel a kindred spirit with canines. Why do you think the fox gets to live a thousand years and get nine tails? I digress. It's a very beautiful scene. One of the uh, definitely the most emotionally tender moment of the place. I I would argue that some uh, some nice doki doki feelings also happen when Goldie saves Baby Bear from annihilation. Uh, but those are characters that are by design less known. Their situation, just as stressful in a lot of ways, is not meant with uh, as much emotional buildup as what we're expecting Puss to go through as the titular character of the movie. Yeah. Is that everything? Are we done? We most oh, yeah. do not have to be. I'm just like, did we talk? I feel like we talked about everything. <laughs> I think the last thing that we could talk about is uh, a little bit more about the movie itself and our general impressions of uh, how we also felt the, the entire thing. The counter that I was talking about and a little bit more on the background of the movie. Because yeah. I'll, I'll do that now while I work on a thing. Um, this is obviously the sequel to the first Puss in Boots movie. The first Puss in Boots movie did not actually do particularly well. It wasn't by any means a flop. It just wasn't a major success as many of the Shreks were. Within that, um... This movie did get a much lower... Not much. Uh, the first movie's budget was $130 million. This one's was, I believe, ninety million. Although it could be off on that one, it is a odd, uh, odd in the tens million. 
Now, in the grand scheme of things, that's a lot of money still. However, that does mean that there were some corners that had to be cut that would have been able to have been left in if they had had a higher budget. And one of those things where it seems like, um, and I do not mean this as an insult in any way, shape, or form, one of the areas where they may have cut down on the budget a bit was with the fight scenes. The fights are done in an, a purposefully lower quality than the rest of the movie. It's hmm. very cartoon-esque. I think in a good way, but uh, I keep making reference to how it's an argument. Uh, my mother, actually, when I showed it to her, she was the one that was like, yeah, no, I don't like this. I personally had no problem with it. I enjoyed it, but it can very much be a turnoff for some people watching the movie. I get not only where your mother's coming from, but I get why it's so jarring. After all, most of this movie, I believe most of this movie is animated on, I'm hoping I'm using this terminology correctly, by twos? Or is it by ones? Where you, pretty much every single frame of the sit-down scenes, the casual non-action scenes, are animated pretty much frame by frame in order to look as smooth as possible when you're transitioning from scene. But I believe the fight scenes themselves are animated by twos or like a half step, and so they seem intentionally choppier, but also can um, look more dynamic when you see the pose change so suddenly. As you were seeing, as you were uh, here on stream, sorry for the podcast listeners only, uh, there was a scene of the fight scene, but the last scene between death and Puss Boots, where if you look from one scene to another, Puss just like straight up disappears as the uh, hit, I call it hitbox animation, but that's my video game lingo talking. And I'm trying real hard not to split, not to substitute my ignorance with my loose expertise. But you see a lot of this, uh, what looks like it, uh, animation errors, and there may be some. I'm not going to pretend that I uh, understand everything that's going on here. One thing that it looked like for me, and very fascinating too, it reminded me a lot of the style of technique used in uh, Into the Spider-Verse 2018 movie. Um, some of their action scenes as well, and some of their gag comedy scenes also animated this way uh, for a more uh, comic book, in their intention, intentionally comic book expression of what was a fully 3D animation movie and i think a similar thing is used here because comic books or at least the, the sort of iconography with the dynamic poses and striking visuals is a key hallmark of its action and since it's only being used here in the action scenes notably against the fight with the golem death the first time i believe the action scenes with uh, jack corner in his office and then eventually the uh, what i'll call the absolute chaos that happens in the river relaxation all of these scenes uh, gain that uh, sense of actiony feel, for lack of a better term, because of the design, uh, because of that intentional um, change in frame by frame animation. Yeah, but it also doesn't matter if you're not a person that <laughs> is into that kind of thing or knows that this is a uh, or agrees that this is a beneficial choice. If you it, just don't like it, it is possible to look at just about anything and be like, "Ew, no, ugly." 
and you know it, i i found it a shame like she liked all of the movie except for the fight scenes and she but she disliked the fight scenes so much it ruined the rest of the movie for her oh for mama kaiser mama yeah, kaiser did I also say a thing that hurt me uh, what did she say that she didn't love you? She <laughs> said Perito was a bad dog. Oh, that, that, that is so mean. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm I'm asking. I, I don't know if that's what she said. Oh, I think Mama Kaiser probably wouldn't say that. She has like two. There's three dogs in her home collectively at any given. I don't think she disliked dogs to say that about Petal. Yeah, no, but Mama Kaiser did in fact say that she likes the Uncharted movie more than. Puss and <laughs> the last one. I don't remember oh. that. Ah. Interesting. I mean, my mother likes Uncharted, you know, though, so. She likes the video game series Uncharted? No. No. Okay. The movie. I'm about to say. Tom Holland. Yeah, yeah. She likes Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. I think I also, she likes Mark Wahlberg. I don't think she likes I'm about to say, Tom Holland. Also, also because course, also because the Uncharted uh, the Uncharted live action movie isn't animated on uh, isn't animated on twos. I mean, we could. It's fluid. We could. All of his action. We could animate it. Hey, Tom, you want to be <laughs> Listen, all we have to do is go into it. And for every action scene, just remove every other frame. <laughs> uh, um, but it's good, to know, it's good to know that even a good arguer and and woman with a lot of. Uh, talents like Mama Kaiser can also just be wrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say that about my mom. It's, it's so, very comforting. See, next time I need legal representation, I'm going to think you didn't like Puss in Boots. <laughs> can I trust her to get me off this murder charge? <laughs> Why are you on charge for murder? <laughs> I don't know. Because Maurice, Ma oh, because Maurice cosplayed his death and got a little too serious in roleplay. Oh, <laughs> man, that... Ooh, that furry convention that ain't in the well. <laughs> Listen, they had a ball pit. Anything's possible. They had a ball pit. No. <laughs> but, uh... I at least enjoyed the movie. It's good. Then I yeah. believe that we are actually down to our last segment, unless anybody has anything else to add. No. I'm chilling. All right. My favorite characters were the three bears. Well, that actually is something and I'm adding the to this wolf. last segment. Who is everyone's favorite character? It. Do we want to do one good guy and one bad guy, or do we just want to have it as one overall favorite character? I'd say, say one, one overall one favorite. Overall. Yeah, uh, one overall. Overall. We'll start with, you know, let, let's, let's go opposite order. Let's go Roz first. Uh, yeah, this should be obvious. My favorite character was definitely. Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, makes sense, makes sense. Edgy boy, edgy boy. Close shout out to Perito. Um, 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 I wonder what Ross would choose today. Yeah. <laughs> I very easily can say that my favorite character is Perito. Mm -hmm. And I would like to read out without the uh without the censors or with, with the censors. I, I cannot do it without the censors. So sure. we mentioned earlier that Goldie and Baby 
were digging on each other a lot. And what happened at one point is they were digging back and forth at each other while they had Perito captive. And since Perito was there and he is the the nice guy that he is, he was kind of like shouting encouragement to both sides. And then... <laughs> I forgot about that scene, God damn it. And I did then, not. And then Baby gets really mad when he basically says, damn, Goldie got you there, bro. He didn't say damn, but you know what I mean. And Baby goes down to him, and he goes, shut up, mutt, or I'll gut you from, what is it, pooper to snooter. Mm-hmm. And his response is to go, I'm in the mix now. <laughs> okay, okay, here we go. You're all a bunch of knuckle-dragging, honey-scrounging, grub-bleeping, oafish bleep bleep munching mangy mm-hmm. bleep nugget bleep and your scooter everyone's right. face to start dropping except for Papa Bear. Bear. oh no Bear's expression <laughs> dropped too but then he smiled <laughs> I like the cut of his jib <laughs> Tonito does absolutely nothing but be the most charming character. You know, Goldie, from one orphan to another, you won the orphan like lottery. Thomas was a sad character and happened to also be this. a dog. Tonito's <laughs> not as sad. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. His backstory is fucking sad, but oh. <laughs> everything else about him is going mean, to be I mean, I have a father no. that's passed. That's, that's sad enough. It is yeah. sad. I'm going to be honest. If Thomas was ever an anime character, he would be the greatest, like, best friend side character. Because he'll just listen to the person's problems. No. He'll put no. down whatever he's doing, turn no. to them, and it's like, all yeah. right, let's fix this. I forbid Thomas from being an anime character. You're too likable. That's a death flag. They're going to kill you for character development. No, 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 no. We're not going to put them in an action. I'm, 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 about to say, more I'm, also, the... I'm, I'm also spiteful enough to not have death stick. <laughs> Ooh, if Thomas was a side character in an action one, someone's going to be talking trash and start piling up and Thomas is going to hit him in the back of the head with a bag. Yo, he, no, he's, he's being too evil. He said he was going to kill us like three times. That's wink, right. wink. I love I would, this this expression yeah. from Goldie. Yeah, Goldie and Vanner is horrible. like the fuck. It is saying see it coming. It's good. <laughs> now, uh, <laughs> everything considered, my actual favorite is Puss. Mm. Lame. <laughs> ah yes, like nah, your main good. character is lame. Yeah, oh, no. it's too bad you're the main character of your life, Kaiser, and no. I like you. Oh. Ah, you dumbass! I got uh, you. Jokes on you! I'm not. Even, I'm not even my favorite character of my own story. That's a, that's a you problem. <laughs> and as I said, my favorite character is the three bears. Oh, All right, of you got a, a three peat. Even though my, even though if I had to give them an order, it's uh, it's Papa, Papa, Baby, and Mama. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Papa's just too damn funny. I think it's great. <laughs> Baby Bear is a fucking champ. So real quick, <laughs> okay. 
We're we're real. We're quicking. I'm What's going sorry. On? I just I had forgotten that this happened so quickly. Yeah. So <laughs> this is what he says. You won the orphan lottery. Uh, I'm switching back because again I cannot show it. I'm gonna hit play at ah. one twelve nineteen. So imagine, one, if you will, two, I'll set the scene for you. Three. Imagine, if you will, podcast listeners, that there is a dog on a log because he is currently a kidnap. A dog a kidnap. of three bears. He is currently a kidnap of the three bears in Goldilocks. During a particular moment, after he throws a litany of slurs right back at the bears and gets them, you know, all nice, comfortable, and ingratiated with them. They quickly turn to all of each other, trying to discuss what to do and contemplate even adopting Perito, because Perito's just that guy. They like the Perito for one crib. second. Perito is just that dog. I we mentioned, and this is very hard to follow because we've never been following this chronologically. Kitty is on the prowl trying to rescue Perito from the three bears and Goldilocks. So imagine, if you will, a dog on a log. One second, they look away from dog on the log to talk amongst themselves and in one second flat they turn back to the log and there is a wooden dog it's not even a wooden the... dog it is a, a fucking acorn it's an acorn dog two blueberries a stick and some leaves in it and, and even you he was eat literally <laughs> perito had a rope around him to activate a a large bear trap and she put the rope and on And she took the rope off of Perito, put it around this thing, and then what makes it worse is that Baby <laughs> sees it, and he yells, Where'd he go? And he punches the pine cone with the <laughs> rope on it, which then, of course, activates the trap. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. them so much. Yeah. And then uh, it gets worse because there is also a beehive. Yep. And when they activate it, it the beehive falls down and lands directly on Baby's head. Yep. Not to mention the most uh, uh, hilariously <laughs> saucing part of this elaborate switcheroo. There was a leaf placed in front of Pinecone effigy of Perito that said, you've been crying. I just I just saw Goldie's face sticking out of this. Yeah. <laughs> her little head. Look at how big her eyes are. Because she's being squished. Can I zoom in? These are, that's, that's a lot of meat. You she's trying to get a right trace now. of her? <laughs> also, a yeah. thing that we did miss through the entire... Uh, Goldie story is they did get their hands on the map for a second, which led to the reveal of her wish. Sending them back. It led to the true nature of her heart. The map knows your true nature. Hint like Kitty's was like, You're uh, lonely. And Puss was like, You're gonna die. And Perito was like, Friendship. <laughs> you have yeah, friends already, and you know it. Congratulations! So we did. We did discuss uh, Pedito's version of the Dark Forest, uh, Pusses and Kitties. We didn't actually discuss Goldies because it didn't matter up until um, this very moment. One of uh, I think we only the most see important one. one. 
Yeah, the most important one, after all, I mentioned before, Goldie got her hands on the map during the chaos of the River of Relaxation. That was trial number two. So at that point, the only trial left for any of the characters to go as they make their way towards the star is whatever their third one is. Goldie's third one, while well, I don't remember its specific name, the is the kids. There it is. And you already know what the hell's going on there if it's Goldilocks and the Three Bears. What else is it going to fucking be? It's their cabin. It's their cabin. The bears? Happy they as shit. It. It's they chill. Love you, home. Their porridges are all there. Their beds are all there. Their Papa Bear's honey is there. All night today. And Goldie is the only one particularly sweating and stressing because obviously this is her map. Therefore, a trial for her, not necessarily for them. She is losing, a, I'll say control, she is losing the focus of the bears that they are all immersing themselves in the comforts of home, but notably she doesn't have any of. There are no particular effigies or decorations specifically attributed to her and her presence. After all, the entire point of her story is that she is a homebreaker that came in and just took their stuff. Uh, they explore a version of that as much during a flashback where Mama Bear is like, the moment we found you sleeping in baby's bed, we were like, let's keep her. And you changed our lives forever. And Goldie's like, yeah, but like, not a bear. What a real family. She doesn't say that yet. And record scratch. Let's let's be fair here. That was Goldie's distraction. The other bears had porridge, honey. Papa had his recliner that he immediately passed out in, like I have to assume every dad does. Deadass. I love my father. Rest in peace, his soul. Batman used to sometimes come home from work, sit in not a recliner, but even just one of the very stationary, hard plastic chairs that we had in our kitchen, and would be out in minutes. I, <laughs> I was baffled. It's the middle of the and afternoon. Was How is he already asleep? Me, as an adult who has to work long hours. Man, it's the middle of the afternoon. I wish I was asleep. Um, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know yet. How could I have known? Anyway, um, but yeah, her finding her old um fairy tale book and then seeing herself the first time she was in the cabin was the thing that distracted her. Because again, she does love the bears. She just doesn't feel like she belongs. Yeah. And is that Fix because it. she's, you know, I don't want to call her dumb. Because I it, that's the wrong word to use. This is how a lot of people feel, especially when they have found families. They're like, this is great, but I don't know if I belong here. And it's something that also uh, it can be attributed to a lot of creatives. Just when they get into in groups within their chosen field, uh, a lot of times that nasty imposter syndrome pops up. And, you know, no matter how much you have earned your spot, position, or accolades, or families in this case... Sometimes it just doesn't feel like you belong to be there. Or gold. Yeah. So yes. Still hate her wish. She's a bitch for that wish. But she overcomes her bitchy nature. Look, if she could have just said that she wished for both of them, like both families to be fulfilled, <laughs> completely turn it around. 
I wish that there was a second version of me that was a bear that could live with this family, and that I, the me version, could live with a human family. That way everybody gets a goldie. And then the map says, lol, no. (laughs) Lol, no, here's a slightly larger cabin. Too complicated. Technically two wishes. I'm not doing it. Literally an entity comes out of the stars and goes, yeah, you're gonna have to... Your limit is 25 words. The other one still is screaming. <laughs> just for her to be, um... <laughs> wish for her to be in there. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, that is the movie. My Goldie, uh, I'm gonna need you to calm down. <laughs> I would love if she turned into a golden bear. That would be That great. would be kind of cool. Now, that was the first part, and this time we're gonna go in reverse order. Just a very basic 1 just to 10. Us. We've done this with all the books we've done. We've done this with all the movies. But we're going to keep it simple this time. Just a simple 1 to 10. How would you rate the movie Maurice? Overall? Yeah. Uh, Unless you want ooh, me to get my man. notebook out and find our normal stats. Yeah, because I mean, I'm used to breaking it down. All right, here we go. That notebook. Listen, I'm almost out of pages. Well... Open that Word document you. <laughs> Give that spreadsheet. Alright, the Discord can in fact pick up me going through the pages. I can hear it. You guys can hear On Discord? Mm-hmm. Oh. This is a very loud notebook. Alright, give me a moment. Talk about something. Uh, so I got to admit, I am still wrapping back to the point of the earliest conversations when the stream started or recording started more specifically. I'm excited for some upcoming movies coming out this year. I do hope that some of them give me the same level of enjoyment and um, positive talkability. This is not something we're that confident doing it, Wham, because we end up watching some things that often do give us gripes or pisses us off. It's been a really good year for Wham Review things. (laughs) I'm hoping I can have that same kind of experience with future movies. Uh, While I did mention Quantumania before, there are other projects that I'm hopeful for. And whether or not we actually review them for future Whams is... Guys, this is not my life. We do this once a week. I still have six whole other days of existence in between them. We could add more days if you need something to do. No, thank you. How about you me? As I said, uh, and partially because of technical difficulties, uh, we haven't done actually a Sunday gaming in a minute. You have. I was yeah. curious about whether or not both you and Roz were going to continue doing more Final Fantasy fourteen. Uh, we do intend to do it. We've taken a break. I forget. Uh, it was a. I think it was for Halloween. We took a break so we could do more Halloween stuff, and we started to go back to it. Yeah, but of Halloween stuff. A lot of stuff came down on my end that that messed my head up, and I'm I'm still dealing with a lot of that, and that's why I haven't been streaming. Makes sense. I've still been doing doing Halloween stuff. Streams they just haven't been as consistent. Annabelle House Party. (laughs) Are you asking that? Are you asking that to try to find something else that we could all stream together? That about house party? How are we going to stream that? No, I mean, oh, Ra- Thomas Ra- asking Ra- about the Sunday streams. It- uh, I do enjoy 
watching the Sunday streams, and as a matter of fact, uh, out of the three of you, you know this, but not the grand people of the internet, I have been working on a Skyrim mod list, mm-hmm. one that would basically allow all three of you, and possibly even the chat, to play Skyrim for me, because I know that game like the back of my hands. Sometimes mm-hmm. with mods included, but most of the time it's with mods I've never played with before. And I find it infinitely more interesting when I see the kind of choices all of you would make instead. <laughs> that sounds fun. I, I still have... also want to do a Skyrim where you play, but at the same time, I get to play at the NPC. So I get you to see LH. <laughs> be like, why the hell did you bring me here to the dragon? I don't want to fight that. It flies. <laughs> Unfortunately, the only one of the probably only ways to get that done is with the Skyrim Together mod. That way, we no, I don't even. Play together. Oh no, I don't even mean narrate. me play. I uh, just want to be the NPC. That would I straight up want to be a follower, not playing, just talking to you. I have the list. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, Please. Maurice, starting with me. You. The first one of our categories that we normally rate things on is the setting. Ooh. I give the setting a good 8.5. The Shrek universe and all the fairy tale characters is fantastical. Thomas. It's like, weirdly enough, it's normal world. In fairy tale, shit just running around all over the place. Thomas. I'm piggybacking a little off of our reasons about how normal the world is uh, so the rating is going to be around 9 there's nothing too fantastical outside of the particular locations like the dark forest or other iconic pieces of imagery that we may be familiar with if you were watching other parts of the Strix universe I feel like um, I feel like we did see Shrek's swamp not like directly in terms of they pa- them passing the house, but I believe like on a map where it was located. So there are a lot of uh, probably other Easter eggs that I wasn't quite paying attention during the watch through. The one of the reasons why it goes up two course is ten is actually because of the dark forest itself as a singular location. It is wonderfully fascinating. It's deceptively simple in terms of there's a literal is a door of the explorer winding of a road, and Trials 3 with uh, all all Trials having a named location and then Malfican Star at the end. But everything that we got to see when it came to the visual design as all of the animators made, Puss's version, Katie's version, Goldilocks's version, and Perito's versions, they were fantastic. And of course, uh, these locations altered a wide bereft of locations that we probably would not have gotten outside of this magical space be able to transform into it. So that's a 9. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's probably more. I probably could give it a 10, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with a 9 to be careful for some reason. So, I don't say if we didn't get to see Jack Warner's uh, Jack Warner's world. It's probably just skull and crossbones. It literally just implodes everything. It's <laughs> a straight line because he knows what he wants and he doesn't care. Oh my god. He has no regrets the same way as like how Perito's the ultimate good, he's the ultimate evil. So it's just a straight path, but just dark and sad. <laughs> Locations the only location in the middle is called Greed Alley. It's like, oh man, that's easy. You gotta, you gotta take everything here before you leave. Done. 
So I feel like I'm the odd man out for not the first time with these lists. Um, for me, the setting gets a six point five. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I view setting as the world in which the characters are in, and I could not give less of a fuck about it. <laughs> like this Fair. story has me with its characters. The setting. So, where is the Black Forest? Here. Yeah, it's it's just there. Where does Jack Warner live? Here. Where was the town that we started in with the giant? Also, Over there. Just there. Yeah, exactly. It's like the places they're existing. Visually, you know, they are. Well, to be perfectly honest, the two cities are not distinct at all from each other. Uh, Wait, hold on. I mean. uh, was Jack Warner's was that? Entire scene with uh, Jack Warner in his office was that entire thing a factory or a town? That was a factory, factory in a town. Because right. they do I mean, get it's... out of the factory and get onto a carriage that then takes them through the town. Right, right, right. So then, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't the entire place covered in like red brimstone as opposed to the nice, lush, green, simple architecture of like small Spanish town in the beginning of the movie? The architecture was relatively the same. No, it's true because it's the same area. But, but yeah, the I, color, uh, of course, the, the color tones are because of atmosphere and well, plot circumstance, and, and that, uh, I guess as what I'm alluding to. It is. I won't say it's not, it's it's not interesting. Darker, it's darker, but it's also but, nighttime here. Other than uh, that, it could be the same place. True. Fair. Um, and that that's kind of my thing. It's like the places themselves, a la the setting. Like, they actually would be below average to me, but the world building within them and with the visuals of the more fantastical places and the world around which it is brings it back up again, which is why it's a 6.5 and not below a 5. Especially, like, you know, just the world building aspect of everything Jack Warner has. It's like, oh, that's a. <laughs> Everyone's now accidentally okay with calling this? them Warner. <laughs> Horner, God damn it! <laughs> Whatever, Roz. What do you give the the setting? If it was just, if it wasn't for the dark forest stuff, I probably would be with Kaiser. Give it like a six because it's pretty basic, pretty trick. Uh, but <laughs> the dark force really tipped it over. I gotta be with Boris and Thomas. I'm giving it a nine point five. Oh, you went higher. Can we much higher? So high. If you have nothing else to add, the next category is character. And I think that the way we're gonna do this is reverse. We'll, we'll make we'll forever. make everybody go first at one point. Thomas. Ben. That's it. That's it, it, it right we, we did spend most of this <laughs> review talking about the characters, so I'm not surprised. Um, ben, yeah. I also got a 10. I did give the characters a 9. Uh, obviously, some of the side characters we got... Like, the Baker's Dozen kind of bugged me, which is honestly what lost the whole point, because I was just like, who are they, though? I think we have <laughs> there. You care just as little, possibly you care more about them than Jack did. 
I believe I do care about them more than Jack did. Oh, yeah. um, and that's your fault, unfortunately. That's but, what the movie's telling us. When it comes to characters, we have a motivation-wise an extremely diverse cast. We have a diverse group of villains who have different motivations, what they're going after, including if we want if we want to count the bears as antagonists, they have their own motivation that's you know we we have them on this scale of the selfishness of them wherein Jack Warner and the bears are basically on opposite sides of it cuz mama bear who's basically in charge of the bear family wants the wish because goldie wants the wish yes goldie is in this case selfish mama bear's in it, it, completely selfless in it which is the opposite of jack warner horner sorry um then obviously there's death who's he's not incredibly unique for a death but he does have enough unique aspects about him and the delivery of most of his lines is extremely good obviously as i mentioned it i love jack horner as the bad guy I think that John Mulaney does a fucking amazing job. I like the fact that Puss's arc in this is not incredibly grandiose. It's more of an arc of him going from the arc of the adventurer that he went through in his backstory. And not exactly the reversing of it, but the redoing of that in a way that brings him to a different point in that arc. Instead of being the braggadocious rogue he is now the you know i don't humble uh, family man the humble the family fighter is what i would call it the humble he, family he's still guy. an adventurer so he's still got that uh that that fighter class but you know he's still got that <laughs> you, he you keeps can still his say he's charm, got that dog in him yeah. but he loses a lot of arrogance yes uh Roz. characters well, how would you okay. rate them uh, I'm giving it a nine, and it's pretty much for the same reason. All the characters were pretty great, with the exception of the Baker's Dozen, who got hyped up to do nothing. I want to know more about Jerry. <laughs> Maurice. <laughs> Me. How would you rate the characters? I gotta give them a hard 9.5. Because... Mm. I can honestly say I liked every character. There's not a single character I dislike. From the cricket all the way up to God, I forgot to mention Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> they that were guy. all great. Like, <laughs> even the Baker's yeah. Dozens, like, the hype for them was more or less Jack saying, summon the Baker's Dozens. They did a cool pose. And then we get to watch him just get fucked up. And look, I'm gonna be honest, a lot of them was funny, especially one that's like, "Come on, you You're shot, shot me. Sorry." I thought you were gonna mention the one cool. that in the pocket full of posies who was standing on top of the tank with the fucking handle powered beater, just trying to keep them away. <laughs> ah! it was, it was, just so many of them were hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> You're not one of the chatty ones, are you? <laughs> and then we have the three bears, the Goldilocks, Puss, Softball. Just every character had enough charm that was like, I like all of you. Not a single one made me dislike you. 
even when Goldie was being selfish, I didn't dislike Goldie. I just thought she was being a little too selfish. Like there, I, I, like I even liked the old lady, the, the crazy old cat lady. That that was good. Like it's rare for a movie to do that. The last one who really did that. Looking at you, DreamWorks. Loved how to train your dragon. And Kung Fu Panda. I mean, I watched Kung Fu Panda the first one. There's two more movies. Yeah, I loved all three of those movies. Good. Well, the first one. This is a death and kind of Jack do enter the Hall of Fame of the litany of uh, DreamWork, DreamWork iconic villains. DreamWork out here making good bad guys for no reason. Uh, they just don't miss. I, I do just gotta re-mention the fucking line from Jiminy Cricket now that you reminded me of him. I just fucking love this realization scene. That, that's evil. evil. You're evil. What well, took you so oh, long? What took you so long? Flick. <laughs> <laughs> no. Moving yeah. on. So, yeah. Like, the only reason why it's only a 9.5 and out of 10 is because, you know, I still have a few gripes. So, like, you know, little bits and pieces here. But overall, these are some of the best characters I've seen in the animated movie. Yeah. And to be honest, I almost gave it an 8.5 because I'm not a particularly big fan of how quickly Kitty Softpaws forgave Puss. But that honestly is probably my biggest character gripe. I'm just like, I don't know, I mean, I don't know just, if I agree with that, but just you know see what I the accepted. reunion of the Zoro class, uh, cast. The reunion. Yes, thank you. Moving on to combat, and it's my turn to go first. I uh, like you, just as plans. Organizer. Justice! <laughs> yeah, actually, hold on. Before we get just on to that, I do have to mention, I think I know the one animated movie that actually has a 10 when it comes down to characters. <gasps> yeah. For me. Sure. And I think it is actually Rodel Dorado still. That makes sense. Those yeah. are all great characters. Even the evil jackass. E- He's the evil jackass, so the hateable. Leader, the leader of the people of El Dorado. It's, they're so good. Miguel and Tulio, Cortez, obviously the fucking horse. I God, fucking no, Cortez. Don't being around the Chelbas. I'm so, I said Cortez, and I immediately. I the first scene we have of Car- Cortez was him saying that he will not tolerate stowaways on my ship. You will be flogged. And when we set into, I can't remember where they were going. You, God willing, you will be flogged some more. And it's just like it. That scene is just like you're shot at a camera angle where you have to look it up for them because he's a fucking giant. And it's just like, oh God, it's Cortez. <laughs> Help. Good. Anyway, I yes. I, I might back have to, to these re- two rogues re- and not those two rogues. I have to rewatch that story. <laughs> web classics uh moving on to the next category it's combat it's the fighting stuff i do not agree with my mother i'm a very big fan of the more 
classical, almost cartoonish fighting style that they have. I do think that a number of the fight scenes are very short, but that makes sense for fight scenes as fights are normally short. And so I... I'm going to go with what I have written down, even though I consider dropping it a little bit. I'm giving it an 8. There are no moments in this where I, as someone who am very critical of fight scenes, just go, yep, that right there, that was fucked up. <laughs> Granted, a lot of, again, it's very cartoony. It's it's cats fighting fully grown people, including, at one point, a cat dual-wielding a rapier and a knife versus a wolf that has a scythe blade that can just combine together. Why do you not like the word sickle? Fight me. <laughs> Death is supposed to have a sight. Uh, he also sickle. Hey, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I didn't ask you, Shadow! <laughs> you know what? It's getting a 7.5. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's staying at an eight. Roz, your turn. My turn. I'm giving the fight scene nine because uh, once you get used to uh, the zoom right before the fights, where it switches the art style, I think the fights are very good. They're not standing and just spamming flurry of blows like in some other shows. There's actual coordination to it. Also, I forgot to mention, I do I do really like the fucking spin move that happened, where he blocks that he just gets spun around a full 360. I think the movement, the animation, and the music choice for it are actually really good. But yeah, do you, anything else to add for your 9, Rouse? Uh, it would have gotten a 10. The fights were slightly longer. Well, but just yeah, wanting longer great. fight scenes? Cringe. I mean, the final fight with Death would have been just a little bit longer. I'd have been happy. Cringe. Like, he would have got help from his friends. Him and Kitty Softpaws could have fucking uh, duoed. And then at the end, Perito could have just been there standing there so Death would trip over him. <laughs> nah, cringe. <laughs> <laughs> the power of friendship. Giga cringe. Anyway... <laughs> Back around I'm sorry, Ross, I don't mean it. <laughs> no, I don't. Wrapping back around to the start, Maurice, how would you rate the combat? I give it a six. Oof. I enjoyed the fight scenes, mainly the ones against death, but a lot of the bigger fight scenes, even though they were fun, I <laughs> kind of zoned out. <laughs> I also, to be fair, I just love every fight scene with Jack in it, because Jack is just this fucking force of chaos. He is a menace. <laughs> but uh, the fight scenes are good. They're above average, which is why the six. But, you know, at the same exact time, I kind of zoned out. Makes sense. Things were just happening on screen for some of them, and I was just, like, pretty. <laughs> pretty. But then Wolf showed up, and it's like, ooh. Right. Uh, I see a little bit of what you mean when it comes to 
what is intentional animated slapstick in most of the confrontations that Jack the Baker's dozen, even the um and even the Goldilocks and the Three Bears are a part of. However, I uh this particular category and rating is always much more volatile to personal experience than some of our others. I like these. I before I give my rating, one last thing on the combat uh, for Kaisers to piggyback off of, I do actually like the design of Death's uh, sickles because they more so remind me of the uh, harvesting farmer tool that I know Amish people use. Of course, the the one in particular reference that I've the one particular in reference to real life is a very large instrument that does look like the iconic reaper scythe that we're all familiar with uh, but that one too looks smaller and more precise for control uh, kind of it gives me the impression of the kind of character that he is much like what I've mentioned before of how calm and collected that he usually is and how seriously he kind of takes his job outside of the also personal motivation of like I do want to take this particular icon down for glory because that would just be, well, fun for once in my goddamn life. So with all of that said, I feel a lot of the wide breadth of emotions when it comes to the more serious combats of a lot of plus versus death interactions. and uh, Appreciate a lot of the blocking, as I called it before, in the more chaotic multi-party combat scene. I'm going to give this a nine. Any final thoughts about combat? Nope. We are on to the final category. Ross! Yay! How would you rate the story? Uh, The story was pretty paint by numbers. Even though I was spoiled on death, it doesn't change the fact that I wasn't spoiled on the rest of the movie, and it was pretty par for the course. If you've seen any like Hollywood movies or any Disney movies, you could have seen the plot of this movie, how it was gonna end, uh, coming like miles away, but that doesn't necessarily make it bad. So I'm gonna give it a seven because I mean, you can do this story by the numbers and still have it suck, so it, it's still pretty good, I'd say. So, seven is. Maurice. Uh I give the story a good old eight point five because first off, I do love a good rat race. Just a bunch of teams going off for the one prize, and that's what mm-hmm. we got right here. Next, shit. it was they they just did it in a way to show everyone's own little personal story coming to a close. And that's like that's nice. That was nice. There's there's four stories to tell here. Even if one of them's from a villainous asshole, it, it's just, oh, I'm sad and lonely. I'm about to die. I want a real family. I'm a dog, <laughs> and okay. I want all the I want all the magic in the world. Pedal uh, was indeed the donkey. 
And it was just so enjoyable to watch them get their closures in their own each unique way. Puss finally stood up to death. Uh, Goldie realizing that her family is just found family right here. Uh, Kitty of realizing that she can trust people, even though, you know, it looks like it's Puss when the real answer is the dog right here. I mean, should have been the first one you could trust. But, you know, now she can also trust in Puss as well. But the dog's right here. The guy. Perito actually giving people to to care about him because his story starts with unwanted, now wanted. <laughs> and Jack gets his comeuppance, the thing he deserved the most. But for what specifically? <laughs> I don't know, Axe Cricket. So yeah, it was a great story. The, the reason why it's not higher, I, I'll be honest, Kind of simple. Nothing wrong with that. It's kind of simple. Sad no one got the wish. But I understand why no one got the wish. Maybe the cricket could have got the wish. The cricket should have gotten the cricket should have gotten the wish and then wished that Jack Horner was actually a good person. Uh and then the wish is like, I'm sorry, but I can't do that. Just invalid request, try again. The wish tells him he already is. This is as, as good what? as going to get. You can't I be telling Jack... me that this is as good as it's going to be. <laughs> I wish Jack better the best he can be. There is, there is no, there is no up. Next, you're telling me it can get worse. At least he pays his. So. Just to remember, at the I start like of the movie, doing it Jack, exposure. Jack promised to pay someone their weight in gold, and he gave one of them the Midas touch. One of a True. one of a set of twins, and the other twin just took it. Just took her. Straight up, did just yeah. take her. Right. Weight in gold. And, uh, I, yeah. I, mean, I feel like he gonna was going to pay the Midas touch. I feel like he was going to pay them normally until she start accidentally insulting him. Yo, we had to kill Soda. You'll make with that box. We had to do so many murders for this. So many murders. <laughs> Who's next? It is Tomas. <laughs> How would you rate the story? Show this to everyone I could. Uh, to the actually uh, makes it so effective. Can you repeat that one uh, more time? You you're you're kind of in the process of dying. What? Ah, death is giving a rim job to my router. Why did we get death is giving <laughs> a rim job to your router? Why did we have to get that demonetized? I... Monetized. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very glad Death is is so in such a loving relationship. We can hear you, right please. Now. It's fucking fantastic. Okay. <laughs> I know you could, because the story is very simple. Yeah, it's digest, easy to discuss on, 
and to extrapolate ideas from, which is honestly one of the only reasons why we sometimes watch entertainment, so that we can hopefully learn something more about ourselves or the world around us and be able to engage in that kind of meaningful conversation, hopefully, people who have experienced the same thing. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, feels a lot like someone's favorite kid's movie. When they grow up and go, what's your favorite movies of all time? And they go off the top of their head, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. These characters don't do anything particularly specific in universe, so it's never the kind of complicated story uh, or nuanced story, I believe is the better terminology here, than like Lord of the Rings would be, which makes it an unfair comparison to say that that is a 10 and this is less than a 10 because it doesn't have the intricate complex world building or uh, why these characters go to this place and make this decision. Um, after all, these are based. These this is an intentional, almost satirical rip off of fairy tales, which were also inherently very dubious narratives in the first place. Always meant to teach a simple and uh, very positive <laughs> moral in the Disneyfied versions of these fairy tales, not the original ones. The original ones are supposed to scare the fuck out of your children, which this movie also can do. So it props up on all fronts for me. That's ten. Woo! Funnily enough, I wrote down all of my numbers right at uh, while uh, I'll be honest. While Maurice was talking about the setting, I went through real quick and I jotted my numbers down. Um, funny enough, me and Maurice agreed exactly on the story because I also gave it an eight point five. Woo! Um, yeah, it's. We all agree it's a relatively simple story. It's it's technically a kid's movie, so of course it is going to be relatively simple. Um, but it's very easy, especially with kids' movies, to go, I want to do a simple story, but I want to make it a little bit more nuanced. And for that nuance to ruin the actual message of the story. Ruin yeah. the actual message of the story. So the way that they did it, the way that they ensured that while they did add a bit more nuance to certain things... They did not overcomplicate or soil the original simple but good story. Um, there are some things that are relatively rushed. It's got four major arcs in a single movie for an hour and 42 minute runtime. It does it extremely well. Um, I don't think it was an hour and 42 minutes. Oh, yeah. yeah. It didn't feel like it. I know, That's how good it, it was. Because you, were, because you were engaged. Precisely. And so it does s score very highly for me. I do think that a lot of my enjoyment of the story, I feel like a major thing for it and why it scores so high. I might even actually be on the same page with Roz if it weren't for the fact that I really, really, really enjoyed the characters. And that's a major advantage that you have if you have engaging characters is that even when it, when interesting people do mundane things, it becomes interesting. Hmm. And so even simplified stories like this, since we have engaging characters, we are more interested to see them do these simpler things. That's why characters are very important. They're not the end-all be-all, but they 
should be at least moderately entertaining. For me, characters are the most important. Your story can literally just have two people sitting in a room. I thought we weren't doing big <laughs> sweeping statements. I was trying to be I was trying to dance around the idea. <laughs> oh, my brain my brain was literally like but my Man. personal experience, though, Maurice says. Yes. Maurice, you my... know I agree with you on that front. Yes. My apologies. <laughs> it's, 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 why is Kaiser being so stupid? It's just, it's like, you can have a great world, but if you don't have great characters, why am I here? Why don't you guys talk about that while I get out of... Calculator? Yeah, I don't feel like doing math. Mm, what time is it? Gymnastics. I don't feel like doing yes. it in my head. So. The same way I feel for video games of gameplay is probably the most important thing. For me, in storytelling, it's all about the character. The story is important, but you can have a shit story with some fantastic characters, and I may forget about your shit story. Because these characters are great. Like, have you seen Clue? Clue is a shit story with some fantastic characters. <laughs> oh, just so many movies is actually just, if you boil it down, these stories were terrible, but these characters were fantastic. Oh, I'm dumb. And... Just like I look at Minecraft. Man, this game ugly as shit. Fun as hell, though. <laughs> I think you can say that about a lot of traditional RPGs. Even the Oof. older classic ones. Yeah, looking at Ross play Final Fantasy VII. What the fuck are these Legos doing? <laughs> <laughs> you, see, uh, you see Chrono Trigger, you see uh, Earth. Uh, all of the other series, not just Bounds. Um, yeah. Actually, there's a really old one called... Gaia Saga, I think. I it was my first RPG on the PlayStation, and my older brother had it, and it was really fun because it allowed you to make your own combos, but there were true combos in there that you had to figure out, so you could test out different button combinations. But you can also capture monsters and use them against your opponents. It was it was a super RPG, and I'm like, when's that going to get remade so I could play it? Because I don't have a fucking PlayStation One. I must say, at this point, you can only pirate it with an emulator. It's a shame. You know, you can find it on an emulator. I, but it's like, I want that back. You, I have our finals, and Ooh. I feel a little bad about how low I rated the setting because it kind of gives a bad picture. I don't care. I'm pretty uh, sure neither, it's higher. Neither, than will, neither will the neither will the common audience. They they understand your uh, particular nuances and tastes. Let's go. So, starting at the initial order we had, Maurice. Me. Maurice's overall score was an eight point eight. Hey. Thomas's overall score for this was a nine point five. Hey. My overall score for it was an eight. Which is the lowest as Roz's final score was an 8.625. Hey, second highest go me. Um, I'm one of those assholes that did 9.5 out of 10. This movie's a must watch on, I on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it is absolutely a 
Indeed. But, yeah, like, you should go fun. watch this. You should I did it. Them. Like, even though you were spoiled, you Congratulations. Congratulations, people of the stream and or listening to the podcast. I am one of those assholes that you now immediately can distrust because it's like, is it movie really that good, you think? It's up to you to find that out. I can't I can't speak to your experience. Are I you? do hope you have fun though. To be fair, even if I hate the movie, I still recommend people to go watch it so they can have their own experience. Hmm. Like unless the movie's right, like we had actively a waste of money. You know, I decided to go back and look to see how we scored this in comparison to the Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. Make your sense. Yeah, we apologize we, for art. We talked. We talked about that before. I remember. You guys literally scored this movie an average of one point higher than I don't Princess apologize. Bride. I know you don't apologize. You never apologize once to me, Roz. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lie, but we'll we'll keep going. But to be fair, no we also love the Princess Bride. Yes, it was still very high scores. Listen, anything above a six from us is good. So the fact that it's got universal eights is very good. To be fair, our fives are the good. You yeah. just get better from there. Yeah, and that's why I said it's rare to. It's good to get above a six. Uh, seven plus is very good. Yeah. All right. Any final uh, thoughts? Uh, DreamWorks still hits. DreamWorks is still an amazing company, and they're better than Disney. Don't even at me about it. Uh, my final thought, actually, loose. This is not meant to be a full blown conversation for the recording. Uh, when I posted the advertisements of our wham in our various scene you know, of discords, Junior just directly tagged me in the Cinema Course Discord channel and said, I wouldn't go so far to call it a banger as I refer to this movie as another DreamWorks banger. It's an eye flick, but definitely safe and overall average flick. And I responded <laughs> with, say it in chat or it doesn't count. <laughs> say it in chat. Unfortunately, he was at work. So, if you have anything that you want to say with us with your own uh, opinions on the and thoughts on this movie, definitely come to chat next time. Come to the stream. Or, of course, tag us on Twitter. Uh, definitely on Twitter because, you know, my thumbs can be just as dexterous as yours if you want to go blow for blow as I defend this movie to my death. It, it just say a lot of words with a couple of characters. The YouTube video. I've Remember, got, uh, whatever you say... Make sure you say it with your chest. I've got three <laughs> hours and 45 minutes of content to explain my opinion. I don't think I need to discuss it in chat. As <laughs> Hopefully. As the great Bodhi from The Wire said, do what you feel, but be prepared for the consequences. <laughs> that's facts. Alright. I believe that's all for tonight. Yay! Go make we something. cleared another one. Go make something. Yay! Especially if you're at DreamWorks. I, I request uh, I mean, that's the uh, Pinocchio spinoff. Where I request around doing uh, more of that public dancing show business. DreamWorks, if you're out there, I need you to not have the How to Train Your Dragon TV show that you have now and just have it where Hiccup is chieftain. We follow his kids. Because I don't know why we're in the future. What? Why are we in modern day with Dragon's DreamWorks? What have you done to me? 
<laughs> None of them are alive anymore, DreamWorks. Where is Hicka? <laughs> your guys are dead and you're sad? Yes. Because oh, Hick at the end, Hiccup becomes chieftain, marries Astrid, and get two kids. And we don't even get to follow a hint of that. I want to know what was going to go happen. What's now, the I next do warn you, Maurice. What's I, my borrow though? I do. I, wait, hold on. I was just about to say that. I do warn you that sometimes direct series involving the following of children come across that particular, uh, particular pitfall of just stabbing the old characters in the back with their now old age. And, and I will take that risk. I'd, I'd like this in the recording uh, for any Boruto fan that manages to find their way to it. Don't worry. Oh. We're not going to switch up when the time skip comes. We're still not going to watch it. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm we've right already here. abandoned I'm... ship. And speaking of right... abandoning ship, go make something. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.